1: welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007, our free phone number. Emma is looking after this morning's show. Coming up on the programme, Cara Darmody's latest update from Leinster House. Following up on yesterday's conversation, we hear from listeners who have succeeded in giving up cigarettes. Our listeners react to the Roald Dahl uh, book changes, we have Farming with uh, Katrina Morrissey we have Muriel Cuddy talking to us about unsuccessful dieting and Ali is out and about for us as well at uh, the Gail Colosta in uh, Clonmel so all of that and much much more on the way, you can text and WhatsApp 083 you can email Tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at what's making headlines today. The Irish Daily Mail, their banner headline, 66,000 pensioners living in poverty, more than 66,000 living in consistent poverty in Ireland. And that's according to rather shocking new figures. The total has almost trebled since uh, 2019 when uh, just uh, over 22,000 people over the age of 65 were in the same dire condition. And those numbers from the Central Statistics Office. Also on the Irish Daily Mail today, they're telling us on the front page that parents will be able to remove their children from new sex education lessons if they wish to. That's according to the Education uh, Minister. Also a picture of Michael Flatley and his wife on the front of the mail today and he's confident that the Irish dancing crisis can be solved and he's doing pretty well um, with his battle against cancer as well. To the Irish Independent and again it's dominated by a picture of the said Mr. Flatley arriving for the Lord of the Dance 25th anniversary opening at the Gáis Energy Theatre in Dublin. The Irish Indo telling us that a leading bank is in contact with the Gardaí as part of an investigation into an alleged fraud scandal involving a retired GAA star. I wonder who that could be. Sources at the Irish Bank confirmed... That they have been engaging with members of the Garda National Economic Crime Bureau uh, since details of the allegations against the man emerged. Um, the Irish Times dominated. By a poll, and they're telling us that support for Fianna Fáil has slipped since Micheál Martin left the Taoiseach's office in December with the latest Irish Times Ipsos uh, poll showing a three-point drop for the party since last year. Support for Fianna Fáil and uh, the Green Party holds firm and the satisfaction for the coalition and its leaders remain largely steady, I suppose. Uh, Sinn Féin remains by some distance the most popular party with 35% of voters who express a preference for saying that they would vote for the party in the general election. Now that result would put Sinn Féin in the driving seats uh, to form the next government uh, with by far the largest number of seats in the Dáil but needless to say it uh, remains unclear who might join the party in a coalition or indeed if Sinn Féin would end up in government at all I suppose. Uh, Right across the newspapers today as well, coverage of the off-duty police officer who was shot at that sports complex in Oma in Tyrone last night. The victim is understood to be a detective inspector. The Irish Examiner finally. And they're telling us uh, about that family of the couple killed at the Gap of Dunloe. that they're going to sue the family of an American couple who died after a pony and trap plunged down a steep ravine in County Kerry have launched uh, six High Court actions against the council and the trap driver as well. And again, more CSO figures on the Examiner today and they're homing in on the fact that more than 89,000 children were living in consistent poverty last year also coverage across the newspapers today that a leadership contest is to get underway after Rogine uh, Shortall and Catherine Murphy announced that they will step down as Social Democrats co-leaders stating that now is the right time. So that's a quick peek at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Do you want to comment on any of that? Oh eight three three double one double three double one. Now, 12-year-old Cara Darmody from Art Finnan is spending one day a week, as you know at this point, in Leinster House in the continuation of her campaign to secure better services for families dealing with autism. She joins me now to share her update. Cara, good morning to you. I'm, I'm very well indeed, Cara. Lovely to talk to you as well uh, today. What is the latest you have for us, Cara?
2: I suppose. Can I firstly just say a big happy birthday to my sixth um, a big happy sixth birthday to my bro- to my little brother John. Happy birthday, John! Happy birthday, John! So indeed,
1: very good indeed. What else have you for us, Cara?
2: Oh yes, I also have to mention this. I don't know if you saw my article on this week's national. I did. Well, I did. it has the greatest headline ever thumbs up at Leinster House for the Tom Cruise of Mel
1: Politics. <laughs> and who is the Tom Cruise of Mel Politics, Cara?
2: Richie Malai. Richie Malai. So you probably to realise it when you had Richie Malloy on last Tuesday, mm. but you were actually speaking to the legendary Tom Cruise of Clamel politics. <laughs> Fair play to Richie. Well, I'd love to be the fly on the wall at the next county council meeting to hear all the flagging.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Top Gun of the county council, indeed. All right, you were in Leinster House. Uh, what did you uh, discover? Who did you bump into?
3: So,
2: back to the big story from Leinster House. Fran, I think I had my best meeting yet yesterday. It was with the opposition spokesperson for finance, Piers Daugherty. Mm -hmm. For anyone who doesn't know, he'll be the next minister for finance if the opposition does get into power. Deputy Pauline Tully, the spokesperson on disability and carers, also attended this meeting. Anyway, I got to bring up the three issues that are now my main focus. One getting the government to ensure that nobody has to foot the bill for any private assessment or treatment; two, holding the HC to account properly, and three, to fully review care's allowance. Pierce told me that I'm hundred percent right on all of these points. He'll be following up with dull questions to the and ministers in the coming weeks. What impressed me was that he was that he agreed that it is a national crisis and he said he would treat her like the house is on fire if he was the minister. Very
1: good indeed, and uh, he has a nice accent, hasn't he?
2: Yeah. So, Fran, just for a bit of laugh, bit of a laugh. Piers Doherty is from Donegal, mm-hmm. so he, so he's trying to teach me the accent. You can tell me how I do, okay? Okay. Hello, Kiara. I'm Pierce Doherty. <laughs> Did you come up by train or by Kiara?
1: <laughs> I'm giving you an <laughs> A plus for that. Well done. Well done well done, indeed. <laughs> the Social Democrats as well, all over the newspapers today. Have you any gossipers? Any news for us on that?
2: Oh, yes. The Social Democrats were in the news big time. Their co-leaders, Roshi Shorton and Catherine Murphy, are stepping down, and a new leader will be elected. As I told you a few weeks ago, they are a party that really impressed me when I met them. Um, I, we know very little about them here in Tipperary, but they have great policies, and... Here's the gossip for you. Mm-hmm. My sources in the doll tell me that the next leader could be. Wait for it. Holly mm-hmm. Kearns, the 33-year-old TD from Cork. So, you've heard some gossip first right here on Tip FM.
1: Very good. I think you could be well right about that as well. Do you have a blooper of the day award for us?
2: Oh, yes. So, the blooper of the day award yesterday must go to... drum roll, Minister Hildegard Naughton... She's responsible for, for the drug strategy. But what did she do yesterday? She admitted that she took cannabis when she was younger. Not the end of the world, but that's now the headline story in the media. Not Minister for Justice Simon Harris's tough talk linking taking drugs to organised crime. My advice to Minister Norton is a closed mouth catches no flies.
1: <laughs> Very good. And uh, do you have another blooper for us as well?
2: Then another big blunder in the doll chamber. The TDs were all sitting in their doll seats and the opposition had tabled the bill to stop evictions from happening. The junior minister, Kieran O'Donnell's job was simple. He had to stand and oppose the bill for the government. But what did he do? He forgot to do that. With the T-shock sitting beside him. Fran, it was cringy. He was dozing away. He was dozing. <laughs> so that bill has now got to the next stage. He was begging the Kian Kaur lad to let him oppose it, but he wasn't allowed to. That was a classic case of a guy in dreamland. It's time to wake up, Minister. Don't be dozing.
1: It sure is indeed. All right, then. It's grade time, Cara. And uh, this will have ministers shivering in their boots now. What what grades have you for us?
2: Yes, so, so we'll have a bit of grading now. I did half of the Cabinet last week, so we'll do more now. Mm-hmm. Norma Foley, Minister for Education. Fran, she's holding her own. I think she'll be judged on whether she can push push through leaving Liebigstar reforms or not. Mm-hmm. But I can say that she was great to meet me and is very supportive of what I'm trying to do. I've also sent some questions for her office to answer, and they are in contact with my dad. So overall, I think she should get a great D for 2023. Well done, Minister. Your many years year to the teacher are paying off. Michael McGrath, Minister for Finance. Fran, whenever I see this minister, he always comes across as nice. Mm-hmm. He really seems like a decent person. He comes across as very solid, but I now need him to help sort out the disability crisis. Overall, he seems to be doing okay for a new minister, so I'll give him a great deal, But I'll be looking to meet him real soon to put some pressure on him.
4: Very Charlie good
2: indeed. Minister yeah. for Agriculture. Mm-hmm. He seems to be able to avoid pu- public controversy. Maybe that's because people not involved in farming may not know a whole lot about it. But still, he seems to be holding his own. So he'll get a great deal for now. Heather Home Priest, Minister for Social Protection. France, as you know, carers allowance is one of my big issues. Mm-hmm. To be fair to her, she was the first minister in 15 years to make any changes to the means test. She has promised Family Cares Ireland that she will review Cares Allowance in detail, but it hasn't happened yet. I've also asked her to meet Trigarra Heron, but that hasn't happened yet either. For now, she gets a grade E because families remain in crisis, but hopefully she can improve over the next few weeks as she listens to me. Simon Coveney, Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment. Again, he's only a new minister, so I won't be hard on him here. Yes. I hear in Leinster House that he's really popular among Fina Gale TDs, but that he's actually quite popular with almost everybody. So he'll get a bare pass grade D today. Stephen Donnelly, Minister for Health. I can't vote back here, Fran. Health is a disaster yep. in this country, and the book must stop the minister. He is not treating the waiting list crisis as a national emergency. Or, as I will continue saying, he is not treating it like the house is on fire. There are over 18,000 children left to rot on waiting lists with almost 1 million people on some, some type of waiting list. The whole thing is a disaster and a failure. So, without hesitation, the Minister gets the worst possible grade S.
1: Very good. You're going to leave Leo and uh, Michal and Eamon until next time. Is that right, Cara? And you you might have a look at their grades at that point.
2: next week, I'll be grading the big two, Leo and Michal. And I'm going to grade the government in general for what they are doing for the disability and carer sectors. I don't want to give too much away. But I don't think the grades are going to be very good. But you have to tune in right here on Ireland's number one radio station, Tip FM, to hear first hand. All with the gracious presenter this world has ever produced, <laughs> the amazing Mr. <laughs> Fran Curry.
1: Oh, it's no wonder we love you. Listen, I hear that you might be coming into studio to us next week. So we look forward to that, Cara.
2: Yes, I really look forward to that too. All Thank
1: right. you, Fran. Look, look after yourself. My best to your family as well. Thanks, Cara. Thank you. Bye-bye Bye. to you now. That's our lovely young friend, 12-year-old Cara Darmody there from Ardfinnan, Uh giving us uh, the uh, the breakdown, I suppose, on her uh, weekly visit to Leinster House. 1800 938 007. Poor Richie Malloy. How will he get over this? The Tom Cruise of uh, Tipperary County Council. The top gun and all of that. All right, we'll take a break. Back with more.
0: Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Mm,
1: John was onto to his, and he's very critical uh, about Cara. And I'm not sure, John, if you're aware of... Uh, Kara's backstory. I mean, Kara is a sister to two boys, um, who are autistic. She's seen firsthand the difficulties in uh, uh, accessing services for autism. She knows about it since she was a very young child herself. Uh, she's aware of of all of that. The constant fight that parents have to get autistic children looked after, and uh, why shouldn't she? She's an extremely bright child. I mean, she's able to do uh, mathematics exams far beyond her years. Why shouldn't she go? Why shouldn't she call out uh, politicians to task? Why not? I mean, we're always giving out about young people not being um, uh, politically aware enough. There you go. There's a a bright kid who is getting access. Don't forget this. Who is being granted access to some of the uh, top uh, politicians. They are granting her the access. And she's bringing this back to us, you know, so I'm not sure why you would be critical. Anyway, 0833113311, Tara joins me now. Tara, good morning to you.
5: Good morning, Fran.
1: Good to talk to you today, Tara. You use public transport, uh, Tara, on a fairly regular basis, but you have an issue.
5: Oh, yes. Um, I'd use public transport maybe once a week, once every two weeks possibly, and it is almost impossible to access any toilet facilities uh, it, when you're on the bus. Um, now you're
1: often travelling with your special needs daughter, so this takes on a whole other dynamic.
5: Tara, oh yes, yeah. yeah. that's even worse. Because with myself, you know, at least you can you can hold it. Because if you go from say Tipperary to Waterford, Limerick, Cork, there is absolutely no bus stop or no stop between Plummel and any of those places where there's a toilet facility you can use.
1: So we're talking about hours on the bus without a toilet facility.
5: So if you go from, just say, Waterford, and you pass through Care Mm -hmm. on the way to Limerick, there is a a public toilet right next to the bus stop Mm -hmm. in Care. Yes. But you are not allowed to use it if you're on the bus. What? Because, yes, if you ask the bus driver, can you get off to go to the toilet he will tell you, oh, you can get off, but I will be gone when you come back out.
1: Why? Uh, like, is he not stopped for a period of time there? Or?
5: Oh, he is. It depends on how many people are there. If there's a big crowd getting on, you might be lucky enough if there's no queue to the actual bathroom in care. But if there's a queue, you actually have to wait till you get to Limerick, Cork or Waterford to be able to use the toilet.
1: Because the bus won't wait. And is there frequently a queue at that uh, toilet there, that public toilet?
5: uh... In care, yes, because it's right right next to the castle. Right, okay. Uh... So you'd have all the tourists and stuff. Now, there is a good few facilities there. I think there's four toilets. Yes. Like there's a disabled one as well. But the bus drivers will not give you the time. Even if you have a child, I was told once, that if I got off the bus and if my kids on the bus to go to the, use the bathroom, that the bus and my children would be gone when I came out.
1: Good, good. Now I know there's scheduling issues for drivers. I suppose they have to get to destinations by a particular time, but that still yeah. seems a bit heavy-handed. If you need to, if you need yeah. to go to the loo,
5: and that's that's just for anybody, whether it's kids, my people my own age, or even the elderly. Now the only bus that we've been able to get. Uh, to a hospital appointment with toilet facilities on it is the JJ Kavanagh bus, and that's the airport bus from Clomwell to Dublin Airport.
1: Well done. So they they have toilets on board, is that it?
5: Yes, they do. Now, we had to travel during COVID because my daughter had to go to Crumlin Hospital. And I did contact the bus to, to ask them what their protocol was, you know, around hygiene and stuff on the bus um, while traveling. And they did say that the bus would... The toilets on the bus would be locked because of COVID. So I just explained to them, look, what was going on, that I was traveling with a child... And they were absolutely brilliant. The, the minute we got on the bus, the bus driver asked me. He was like, are you the lady that emailed? I said, yes. He said, just come down and let me know if she needs to use the bathroom. We'll pull over. I'll go down, I'll lock, and she can use it.
1: Oh, well done. Well done. And that's Kavanagh's buses, is it? That's
5: Kavanagh's bus, Well done. Bus. And they're the only bus company I'm aware of that actually has toilets on the bus. Now, I do understand for hygiene reasons mm. and people, you know, doing whatever on the bus. Mm. But any time I travel with my kids, especially on a bus with a toilet, I will make sure I have a pack of baby wipes and sanitary wipes. Mm. Mm. Because before they go in, then I'll just go in and just rub the toilet or the sink or whatever. And then they go in, use the toilet, and then they're happy out for the rest of the journey. Very
1: good. Very good. But But if we
5: travel to Waterford or Cork, (laughs) you can't go by bus anyway. You'd have to go by train because there's a toilet on the train. But the, toil- or the train to Waterford only goes once a day from Clamwell. And then the train to Cork, you actually need to get two trains to Cork and a bus to the hospital in Cork.
1: It's, in- it's incredibly difficult in this country to use public transport port for so many reasons. And then there's such yeah. a drive on by the Greens for us to get out of our motor cars. But like, you know...
5: Yeah, they're just—they're not making any good incentives for people to even travel by bus, or, you know, as you said, leave your your motor cars at home.
1: Yeah, just tell uh, me so, that again about the the train service to to Waterford. You said was it?
5: No, uh, to Cork. To Cork. If what? I want to go to Cork, I need to get the train from Clonmel at eight o'clock in the morning. Right. Then it goes to Limerick Junction, where you have to wait for about an hour, hour and a half for the next train uh, to go to Cork then you have to get off in the train station in Cork, walk over the, the river to the bus station, then get the bus to the hospital. Mac, so I... if your appointment is in the morning in Cork Hospital, you need to go down the night before because there's no other way of getting there.
1: So you have the added expense then of accommodation and all of that?
5: Yes. That actually happened with my daughter. She needed to have emergency surgery two years ago. And we actually had to... Um, Book into a hotel the night before, so she'd be in the hospital for 7 a.m. in uh, the morning to go into surgery because the first train or bus doesn't leave KML until after 7 8 a.m. in the morning.
1: My god, John was on to us earlier on and he was very critical of young Cara Darmady, who, but I mean. This is the kind of thing she's speaking out about, Tara. You know, these...
5: There's everything. The minute our children get a diagnosis, actually even before that, if you see symptoms or if a health nurse points out, oh, I think your child needs further assessment, then that's when the fight starts. You need to fight to even get that assessment in the first place. My son was on the waiting list seven years. He's in third year now. And he made it the whole way from baby infants to second year with autism and no diagnosis. And it's only now in the last year that he's education and he's actually enjoying school and he's 15.
1: And how difficult was it for him up to oh that, Tara?
5: It was extremely difficult. Um, the teachers uh, would know that there was a you know an underlining issue and that we were waiting mm. for tests and stuff. That didn't matter. Unless you went private for over a 1,000 euros and handed a piece of paper into the school that cost you a fortune, they, nothing will be done. It's just not possible. You're fighting for SNAs, you're fighting for everything, even to get them to school. Trying to get public or any type of transfer child to school is it's just not, it's not, it's not possible, but it's a, it's a nightmare.
1: So is it fair to say, Tara, that, you know, since, I mean, from the beginning with a special needs child, I mean, y- your life becomes a fight, really. That that becomes the yeah. dominating um, reason for your existence, really. You're you're fighting for your child.
5: You're fighting for your child, especially if they're non because then you have to kind of become an interpreter for your child. You're their it's voice. doctor's appointment yeah. or, yeah, because you have to kind of, just keep everything in your head, right, she looks sick today, right, she was vomiting this morning. Because a doctor would go in and go, how do you feel? If you have a nonverbal child, you're their voice. And I, I kind of find it hard because I always look to my daughter when I'm talking for her to make sure that I'm, I'm explaining myself properly. And I will say it to her, did I miss something? And she will let me know whether I had missed out on something or if I explained it properly. My God. It's, but it's a continuous fight. And it's, even to get what they're entitled to, yeah. apparently we're entitled to this, that, and the other thing, but you have to fight for it. And then it's rejected. I've never known anybody that's been um, accepted on cares allowance, domiciliary allowance, anything first off. It, it was rejected. It, straight
1: everything away. has to be a fight.
5: Everything. A medical card is a fight, a place in school. My daughter didn't get her placement in secondary school until 13 days before the start of the school year. And I had no idea where my child was going to school. At one stage, she could have had to be brought to Kilkenny, to the special needs unit down there.
1: And you didn't know until
5: under, under two
1: weeks before? before uh, yeah.
5: Before we that. were told the 18th of August, and she started the 29th of mm. August, that, the exact same month. And I had it was a mad dash then to get books, uniforms, everything because we up until that day we had no placement whatsoever.
1: It's an incredible story, Tara. That's uh, for sure. And I know that it's it's you know it's not a rare story. Sadly, no. it's uh, many families have it the same. And it will get
5: worse once they turn eighteen. Because,
1: because what I, what happens I, I, then?
5: It's exactly. They're classed as adults, and I, 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 officially or technically have nothing got to do with what they, you know, what they need. But I, I'd have to go and get, um, it a guardianship kind of thing, that I would, um, like, I suppose I, I'm all new to it now, when, as they're coming into adult age. Whereas when they were children's age, I'm, I'm an expert. Right, but that's a whole other
1: study about their entitlements and services after 18.
5: Yes, and I'm absolutely dreading it because I have no idea.
1: Tara, good to talk to you today and look after yourself. And thank you so much for raising too, those friend. issues with us, Tara. And my best to your family. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye bye to you, bye. Nan. Tara speaking to us today. Now, again, on health issues, we've been covering the story about our ambulance uh, services on the show. It took over four hours for an ambulance to arrive to 94 life-threatening emergency calls last year. In one case in Waterford, it took almost seven hours for an ambulance to arrive again at a life-threatening emergency call. According to the Freedom of Information figures, on 21 occasions, the wait time was over five hours. And Paul was in touch with us about this and joins me now. Paul, good morning to you. Morning, Pan. You made a very simple point to us, uh, Paul. You said, once again, the HSE has messed up. That's it. So the, big, the problem is
4: we, ha- we have a HSE and Health Service Executives we need the health service. They can leave the executive bit out of it.
1: Because that's the administration and all of that, that's, which that's seems
4: well, to be... Yeah, I fully appreciate that. Administration is necessary. Mm. But it seems to be a lot of chiefs in the shortage of Indians. I mean, seven hours for, for uh, an ambulance in Waterford. So you could drive from Cork to Dundee at that time.
1: Yeah, and the danger is here that we might start blaming paramedics and ambulance drivers and stuff, but I mean, it's not about that. Sometimes no. the the ambulances are waiting in bays to deliver the patient for hours on end and therefore it's a domino effect on them being well, able yeah. to react to other calls.
4: I, I have heard of ambulances uh, bringing the patient in but they can't leave because the trolley they brought the patient in the patient was still on it. Good God. You know...
1: Have you thought about this, Paul, in terms of a vision for it, or doing something about it? I mean, if if you were in charge of this, what what would you do?
4: Uh, I would. Well, it's easy to be the hoarder on the ditch, but uh, I'd be inclined to uh, have dedicated ambulances. Mm. So I, I know I was talking a while ago, and I was saying that every county needs to have a major hospital with an A and E in it, mm. and. Uh, Tip needs two. I know Dublin has three, but uh, have ambulances dedicated to the hospital. And then you have the uh, the ones from the fire fire uh, station that you have floaters, shall we say.
1: That can cover any any excess or any, or, excess. Or, or any major disaster or something yeah. like that. You see, do you know what you're describing to me, Paul, is the way it used to be?
4: It seems that way to me. You yeah. know?
1: Because I remember in Cashel growing up, I mean, there was an ambulance service in Cashel. There was a separate ambulance service over in uh, Clonmel, an ambulance service in Nina. Um, but but they took all of that away and they centralised everything.
4: Yeah, but th- th- that's all very well if you live in Dublin mm. or you live in yeah. Limerick. But I mean, if you're living out the back of schahina where are you going to go? Yeah. No offence to schahina but uh, it- it's not exactly a metropolis. Hmm. But you're just as entitled to the service as anybody else. But I, I've heard tell uh, of ambulances uh, being 10 minutes from a pickup and being diverted two hours somewhere else. You know, because the inside of two hours away is more urgent right, because than what they do and then the 10-minute pickup.
1: Right, so administration had to make a decision there and say, well, okay, it's more serious. You go to the other one and leave that patient aside. I mean, that's... They, this yeah. is 2023, for God's sake. I mean,
4: another alternative would be uh, they have transfer ambulances. What's you know, that? Uh, what,
1: what is that service? Now?
4: transfer ambulance. Uh, let's say, for example, you're in... We'll, we'll say you're, you're in, in, in Conmel.
1: Mm.
4: There's, a hospital, there's a hospital in Conmel, isn't
1: there? there? There is indeed, yes.
4: Yeah, But you have to go to James's in Dublin for tests. Mm-hmm. There's an ambulance to take you there. Mm. It's not a paramedic ambulance. As such, it wouldn't be as... Right, it's equipment. just a
1: transfer, in other words. Basically,
4: yeah. 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 So uh, I'm, I'm sure that some case going to a uh, and Yeah. that it's not somebody who needs a heavy-duty paramedic uh, presence or all the equipment. They do need to go to the hospital, but they don't need to have... Uh,
1: Very good. It, and is that the way it works, that a full-service ambulance, and, uh, you know, with, with uh, two... Paramedics would do a transfer call then, and and therefore wouldn't be available to, for an emergency. Well,
4: no, what I'm saying is, if you go, well, if you fall and you break your shoulder, we I mean yeah, say, yeah. So you, you don't know it's broken, but you know it's sore. Yeah. Whereas uh, a full paramedic team has to go out there. Okay. Now, if somebody's having a stroke, a full paramedic team has to go out there, mm. or or a heart attack, or a, a, a major uh, road traffic accident. Mm. But what, I, what I'd be saying is, well, for the, the traffic accident or the stroke or heart attack, well, they sends out the full paramedical. Mm. For the guy who's just busted his shoulder, send out a, a, a smaller vehicle that doesn't need the, the...
1: Yes. Now, I know for a fact, Paul, that in some cases, I mean, there's private operators that are brought in to transfer patients to hospital and for, for, for kidney dialysis and that sort or of a taxi thing. Well,
4: yeah. Yeah,
1: so maybe they could be used more. Is that what you're saying, to free up the paramedics?
4: Or the volunteer ambulance, no, the order of Malta or uh, that. That's a very janitor. good point,
1: yes, yeah. very good point, yeah.
4: Because I, I think I heard them on your show there and they go say, well, why can't we do that? Yeah. We, we have the volunteer ambulances. So if it's a case of someone has to go for dialysis, you don't, you're not tying up an emergency ambulance. Right.
1: That. But you know they're going to bring into this conversation then all sorts of things like insurance and GDPR and access to people's records. You, you, there will be so many impediments to this, you can be sure.
4: Uh, I'm certain of it, but at the end of the day, if I'm lying there having a heart attack, I don't give a monkey Who knows what colour of socks I was wearing? Yeah, I know. You know I, know, I want to get to the hospital and get seen there, or if I have to get to dialysis, no, I don't care if it's Mrs. O'Flaherty who lives down the road and volunteers to drive for the Order of Malta. I'm getting down for my dialysis. I'm happy.
1: Right. You don't... You. I mean, you have nothing to hide, I suppose, about your information anyway, so what What no. matters is you... I look
4: at... Ireland is still fairly well parochial and somebody somewhere knows all about you anyway. Uh,
1: you can be certain, of, as I know full well, Paul, you can be certain about that. But do you know, health and safety, GDPR, litigation, all of these things nowadays, you know, they're holding up so many services, but anyway. Well,
4: um, I'll give you an example of that. Yeah. Uh, there was a woman in America who washed her dog, Little Poodle, and dried it in the microwave. Right? Yeah. Gran, she sued the microwave company and worn. Oh, for God. Because Be- they didn't get instructions
1: not, not to not dry, to your, dry dog your dog in the, in the
4: microwave. Way. So, I mean, thankfully we haven't reached that level.
1: Are you serious about this?
4: Yes. Oh, absolutely.
1: She dried her dog in the microwave and and presumably the dog died.
4: Oh, yeah, cooked, yeah.
1: And, and she sued the microwave because they didn't tell her not to dry her dog in it. Paul, thanks so much, Paul. I I need a cup of coffee after that. Look after yourself, Paul. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Bye bye, Garmila Market. That's Paul. That's an incredible story. Back in a moment.
0: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pocon, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pocon, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's
1: Still trying to deal with the uh, the dog in the microwave. My God almighty. 1800 007. Now, yesterday we spoke to our good friend, feathered pharmacist Jimmy O'Sullivan, um, about quitting smoking. And Ash Wednesday, that was yesterday, of course, was National No Smoking Day. Now, Iris was in touch with us to share her experience of giving up the old cigarettes, and she joins me now. Iris, good morning to you.
6: Good morning, friend. How
1: are you? I'm very well indeed. So, oh. when, when did you kick the habit, Iris? When did I take it on? Yeah, when did you stop smoking?
6: Oh, I stopped near enough to 30, 28 to 30 years ago.
1: Well, and how heavy a smoker were you at that point?
6: Well, I used to say to people that when I got up in a heap, I had, I'd light a cigarette and they said, I must be always up in a heap. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because you were always smoking, were you?
6: I, I smoked at least 20 a day.
1: Right, okay. Now, what prompted you to give up?
6: I don't know. I suppose the family and that, you know, I had uh, the children were, they used to, they were in boarding school and they said when they went back after a weekend, they smelt the smoke off the washing. Mm. Mm. You know, and, and that sort of started me thinking about it.
1: Right. So, how did you go about it?
6: Well, I i, I heard about this book, Pat um, Carr.
1: Alan Carr, yes. Alan
6: Carr, mm. yes. Mm. And, um, I said, it's worth a try. So I got it and I read it from start to finish and I said, that's a great book. And the, the night I finished it, I left out my cigarettes on the table and a lighter with them for whoever wanted them, but I didn't want them. And I never looked back.
1: And did you and, crave them, Iris?
6: No, I didn't. That was the funny part of it. My God. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I just made up my mind I was doing it and that was it.
1: Now, the book is called The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. But, I mean, from my reading of it, there was nothing easy about it because he doesn't like alternatives to smoking, at least. That's my understanding. It's more or less cold turkey. No, it didn't affect me
6: that way, no, at all. Yeah. Maybe I just kept myself busy. I don't
1: know. Right, but but what but, I mean is that he didn't... Yeah. I mean, there's no indication that you should be using patches or no. an alternative or something. You just stop. no.
6: But then, of course, he took—he brought out a book, The Easy Way to Lose Weight. Right. And I said, if one, when one works, the other probably works. So I decided I'd try it. Hmm. And when I tried that, he kept referring back to cigarettes. And I said, well, I only read a couple of pages. And I said, if I read any more, I'll be back on them. <laughs> you know, why he, yes. why he refers them, I don't know. Right. You know.
1: Right. But but and, and did anything else tempt you over the years? I mean, when you get the smell of smoke from somebody else, would you be tempted? Or?
6: Not really, no. Well, yeah. you see, my husband smoked. Right. And it took him a longer time. He always, He kept saying, I'll never be able to give them up. Hmm. And he tried the Zyban tablets. Yes. And you take them for a week and you can smoke for that week, but then you have to stop. Okay. And he went into the second week and he said, if I don't shortly give up, I'll never give up and he did and he said that the next morning he said he didn't even feel like one
3: isn't that incredible yeah
6: so, so, I mean he, if he woke in the middle of the night he'd have to light one
1: my god tell me you about know, the difference to your life Iris when you give up the cigarettes I mean your health well, I for suppose
6: example I had, I had another few bob in the pocket yeah yeah. you know that, that would have been the main one but the children then you know sort of they thought it was great but then a few of them started when they got older started smoking yes wow now, behind my back, I caught one, actually. She was out in the yard. She was in one of the sheds, and she's just puffing away. And I happened to walk out, and I said, that's fine. Smoke away, but I said, you won't smoke my money. Right. And so, she never smoked since. Isn't that great? Yeah, it is.
1: And and can I ask, do any of your children smoke now?
6: Um. No, I don't think no. they do. Okay, good. No,
1: good. Okay. No, so I think they all
6: gave them
1: up. Right, so you gave good example, but I'm just wondering about your health specifically. Well, did did you have, notice a difference? I
6: have
1: COPD now as a result of it all. Oh, you know, right? Okay.
6: Yeah. So it did. Like it did affect me.
1: So even though you gave up, it, the damage was done. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, to me? Say or some it was damage done,
6: was done. Yes. Yes, exactly. Now,
1: yes. it probably would be much worse, I suppose, Iris.
6: Oh, I'd say it would. Yeah, like the my GP has a handle on it now. You know that I'm not. I'm not. I used to be very. I used to be very bad with it. Right. You know, I'm very breathless and that. But I'm not quite as bad now at all.
1: Right, so you, you're you on some medication for it, are you, or something like that?
6: Well, I am, on a few different, yeah, right. and I have inhalers if I need them, but I very seldom use them now. Right.
1: Your advice to people who might be thinking of giving up virus would be what?
6: Well, I think for a start, the price of them. I don't even know what price they are now, but they weren't that price and I gave them up, you right. know. Yeah, I think I, I
1: don't smoke, but I think they're about 15 euro for 20 dollars.
6: Something though. like that, yeah. yes. But every year they went up, I'd say, if they go up any more now ne- in the next budget, I'm giving them up. Yeah. But it should be only 50 cents, so you'd say, ah, here, I'll just stay going. You know, and this went on for a long time. But at yeah. price them now, I think it's ridiculous.
1: All right, well, we wish you well, Iris, and thank you so much for coming on with me today about that. Thank you. Good morning, thanks Iris. Good, my, good morning to right you. Bye. Bye-bye. Juliana joins me now. Juliana, good morning to you.
3: Okay. <laughs>
1: Um I'm not sure if we have Juliana there. Let's, let's see if we can get her uh, back. Uh, Juliana, good morning to you. Okay, we can't get Juliana at the moment. We'll see if we can get her uh, back because uh, Juliana gave up cigarettes, I know, in 2008. And again, we want her to uh, share her story uh, with us this morning as well. I gave up the fags about 15 years ago, nearly drove everybody bonkers. So I went on my pipe just so the rest of uh, the house wouldn't go bonkers as well that I think that's my friend uh, Joe Noble hello Joe how are you um is is the pipe by the pipe do you mean the the vape thing i wonder um okay civil defence will do transfers to hospitals for anybody that needs it says one of our listeners and um, fair play they do a fantastic job uh, for sure um friend that beats banahar where the dog is concerned and uh, somebody else saying, Fran, who would dry their dog in a microwave? I need Valium, says uh, Mary. I know, isn't it incredible? But I mean, t- to do something stupid like that, to kill the dog, and then say, whoops, that's not my fault. Uh, the microwave manufacturers didn't tell me not to dry my my, um, my dog in the microwave, so therefore I'm going to sue them. Isn't it incredible? Um... And I, I was reading, you know, you know, car owner manuals as well, it used to show you how to adjust the valves, but now they tell you not to drink the contents of the battery. Like, are people completely, you know, I mean, I'm speechless for a change, but, but really, there has to be a notice on a battery now to tell you not to drink the contents of it. I think we might have Juliana uh, with us. Good morning to you, Juliana. No, we don't We don't seem to have Juliana. She just doesn't want to talk to me or she's there in the fog of smoke at this point. But uh, there you go. If you want to contact us on any... I mean, what about stuff? What about stupid stuff that uh, goes on nowadays that people feel they need to be told about the most basic uh, things? And if stuff goes wrong, then all of a sudden they're... Um, Uh, They're blaming manufacturers and all of that. Somebody says the Americans are mad anyway. There's a bit of madness going on in this country. My friend Joel was back to say, yep, Fran, it's the vapey thingy that I'm on now. Yeah, um, uh, we we heard from uh, Jimmy Jimmy O'Sullivan, our pharmacist, the other morning. And again, he was telling me that he he used to think that that was an alternative when vaping came out first and he was kind of all for it. But now he's not sure. I was not sure about it at all. Uh, five years ago, there was a drug given to soldiers who returned from Vietnam um, with uh, post-traumatic uh, stress problems. It was called Xanab, and it came to light that a big percentage of the soldiers um, just uh, turned their backs on cigarettes while on the drug. And also, the good effect was permanent. It came on the market here. My doc prescribed it for me. It would take three months to work, and... Um, I've never looked back since, and that was back in 1999. So there you go. Tom joins me. Good morning, Tom.
7: Good morning, friend. How are you doing? I'm
1: very well indeed, Tom. Um, you used to smoke quite a lot, Tom.
7: I did. I was smoking 30, up to 30 cigarettes a day. And in my later years smoking, I decided that I could do with an odd little hamlet.
1: That's so, a cigar, is it?
7: That's a cigar, yes.
1: Right, so you had a cigar and the cigarettes, Tom.
7: Well, they—they're not full cigars now. They're about the size of a cigarette. They okay. come in a little bigger than a cigarette, but they come in a box of five. Right. And I would buy five at a time and smoke them during the day or in the evening, mostly.
1: As well as the thirty cigarettes? Yes. Wow. Wow. And um, did you did you give up?
7: I went cold turkey fifteen years ago, friend. And it was the easiest decision I ever made in my life, strangely enough. I I was smoking since I was a teenager. Right. And um, I gave them up on a few... Okay, like most people, I tried to give them up over the years. And I was after them for maybe five years at one stage and went back going into work one morning. I went in to buy the paper and bought 20 cigarettes just out of the blue. And I had half the packed smoke before I went home that evening. Uh, So I did stuff like that, but then... About 15 years ago, I developed a cough, which I couldn't shake off, and I said, there's only one thing, that, I said, there's one thing that I can do immediately, and that's stop smoking. Mm. So I went home that evening, and I had five or six cigarettes left in the packet, and I threw them into the fire. And I've never smoked since, and I've, the strange thing is, I've never had a desire for a cigarette. Not once.
1: Not Not, not a craving or anything, no?
7: No, no. In fact, there was one occasion when I was a passenger in a car and the driver asked me to light a cigarette. And I did. I took just one pole and put the match to it and then handed over the cigarette. And I almost got sick from the taste of it.
1: Isn't that incredible?
7: And that was, that was, yeah, that was as close as I ever came now to. I, I have never, I can say that genuinely, I've never had a craving.
1: That's very interesting. And tell me the difference it made to you then, Tom. I mean, you gave up after a considerable number of years, but what what difference did it make to you?
7: Uh, and well, a number of differences. Obviously, the effect in my pocket was almost mm-hmm. immediate. Yeah. Um, the second one was that the cough, which I had worried me, I'd actually gone to the doctor with the cough, and um, that cleared up within a matter of. Now it, it took some weeks. Mm. I tried several different types of medications to help it along, uh, but it all worked, and my health obviously improved enormously as a result of it.
1: Yeah, and breathing and the like, did that did that improve breathlessness? Or?
7: It, very, very slowly, friend. now I have to admit that. The breathing part of it, like if I went walking, which I was able to do that time, um, I would get Slightly breathless. Nothing serious, nothing to worry me, but I would get breathless while I was walking. And then when I'd stop, I'd be back to normal again. Right. I wouldn't have considered it a a serious problem. It was there, but not not serious.
1: But but not a serious problem. And Tom, for people who might be trying, I mean, it's Lent now and, you know, it's an opportunity I suppose for people to to try to give them advice, please, Tom?
7: The only advice I can give, and it obviously it's it's worked for me to go cold turkey but that wouldn't work for everybody else it wouldn't work for the majority of people i suspect uh take it one day at a time yeah decide in the morning that you're not going to smoke that day and maybe the following morning treat yourself to one cigarette um uh, my dad the lord rest him many many years ago he was a a reasonably heavy smoker as well in fact he died from cancer of the throat oh, did he oh. uh, but when it would come to Ash Wednesday he would keep one cigarette in a box and he'd carry that box with him everywhere for the seven, six weeks of Lent and when he felt like a smoke he'd take out the box and he'd say oh, sure, I've only one, I won't smoke and I'll have none left if I smoke that and he got through every Lent that way and as I say, he was, a, he was a, a dedicated smoker, but he would always manage to get through. And so, from that episode yeah. of my dad telling that story, I would say to people take it one day at a time to start with and use whatever uh, information is available from mm. from the government agency that, mm. that looks after
1: Qu- that. Quit.ie, I know, is the. Quit.ie, yeah.
7: exactly. Yeah. Uh, take that advice. There's no, there's no one sure recipe for anybody, friend. Right. As you'd appreciate, But right. um,
3: it, ca- it
1: can be done. Is what you're saying, Tom? Oh, it can be done.
7: It can be done. Yes, All
1: right. I'm heading towards news, Tom. But a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much, Tom. And the we old wish old you well. Friend, thank you. Thank take you. Care. Bye bye, Chyna. It's Tom speaking to us this morning. Um, news is coming up. 007 That's our free phone number. The text and WhatsApp is oh eight three three double one double three double one. Not that I doubted, doubted our, our listener this morning, Paul, who told me that sto- story about the microwave maker being sued by the lady who lost her poodle to the sound of a rather muffled explosion following her attempt to dry the dog um, for a few minutes after giving it a bath. But uh, yeah, she and and she won't. We can, we can't figure out. It's an absolutely true story, by the way. Um, But we can't figure out how much money she got for for it after suing the uh, microwave uh, manufacturers. But also, it it, um, it just uh, put up another story here that said that a lady won, wait wait till you hear this, $2.9 million uh, against McDonald's because she spilt a cup of coffee on herself while she was driving so she got 2.9 million dollars for that against mcdonald's i could have made a fortune over the, the amount of times that i've spilled coffee on myself in in the car and you know it also brought back another memory to me the most uncomfortable long-haul trip i ever had on an airplane i spilled a small bottle of wine down onto my lap uh, in the early stages of the flight and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting flight indeed. And I made up swear words, I have to confess. The British Prime Minister, uh, Rishi Sunak, has criticised changes to the Roald Dahl books after the removal of some references to things like characters' appearance and weight sparked a fierce debate altogether. And I'm glad to be joined now by Christine. Christine, good morning to you.
8: Good morning, friend, How are
1: you? I'm very well indeed, Christine. Do you think this is madness? Absolutely.
8: Like, I just I'm I'm dumbfounded by it all. Like, I don't know what sort of world like, we're living in right now.
1: Yeah, rewriting literature now to suit the way we're that thinking. That is
8: today. just, it's just, you always think when you hear something, yeah, no, it's too far. Mm. And then you hear this and you're like, yeah, no, it's gone way past too far now. Like, I mean, like, those books are like a part of history. Someone actually mm. put their time and effort and wrote those books at a time when stuff like that was okay. Like, I mean, like... Yeah.
1: And and uh, you know what you say there really sums it up. They they wrote at a time, so it was of its time. You know, so yeah. we can't imply. You um, can't rewrite the, the history. Rules
8: that I'm we sorry now, no, but history is yeah. history, and it should be left. And all these new age things. I mean, like, geez, you can't talk to you nowadays without having a lawsuit.
1: Yeah, it's it's gone crazy. Do you, do you think has it just gone nuts, particularly in the last year, Christine? I think you know
8: crazy every time I look online something else just you always think you've seen it all and then you open the internet and something else just hits and you're like wow
1: <laughs> I know um, do you remember there only a few weeks ago they wanted to stop uh, the Welsh rugby fans from singing Delilah because they thought it would promote uh, violence against women
3: Um that is
8: I mean like it's crazy. I mean like if, if you think anything promotes violence towards women, there's something wrong with you and not the actual what's wrong with the song. It's you thinking like that is you have the problem. That's in my opinion. That that's someone can come and take that up with me. In my opinion, absolutely nothing, no matter what it is, can promote it sure if that's the case, all these ads on T V that show the women that are bruised and all should if you have the T V on mute you could be looking you don't know that it's Right, you would be uh, looking at uh, the
1: images, I suppose, Yes, you would be looking yeah. at the
8: images. If you, if you have a hearing problem and you can't hear what's on the TV and you can only see it, you can say, oh, Jesus, look, yeah. I, I'll go out now and i do that. Too. Do you know what I mean? Like, what is the world coming to?
1: Yeah, and where does it stop? Where, where it, it, does all of it, it, this that, stop? Sort of... That's
8: what frightens me. That, that's the question. I mean, like, my partner and me often talk about this, like, often. It's a regular subject in our house. Like, I mean, what is next? When I see something, I'm like, oh, no. And I show him and he's just like, Mm. why, like, I'm so thankful I grew up in the time I did where, like, you had a fight with someone, you called them all the names that's in their that old doll book, and mm. then you turn around and, like, my own sister, and you turn around, we'd be calling each other all stars, you turn around, <laughs> you say sorry and you get over it, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, or oh, just It's gone way too far, like way, way, way too far.
1: And even some of the changes that they're making, I would question as well. I mean, they're replacing the word fat with enormous. Now, I think I'd prefer if somebody called me fat than enormous.
8: Come here, look. I mean, like, what size is fat? I mean, like, I don't look at someone and say, God, that person is fat. What, What size is fat and what size is, like, normal and what size is thin? What is normal? Define normal. You can't comment on anyone's waist. I mean, like, you don't look at someone and say, God, now, that person is well over 20 stone. Obviously, like, come on, call a spade a spade. That's fast. You know what I mean? Like, you look at these programs on TV, like, you have to be really, really, really big to be fat-like. Mm. But where is the line between fast? What you call someone who's between fat and skinny? What is the word?
3: I, I don't know.
8: Exactly. So, like, you can't... There's no one there to define anyone that's fast. I mean, like, leave the word there. But, like... You can't. someone can't turn around and say oh that person is in a size I don't know, I'm a woman so I'll say about 14 to 16, that's not fat that's big, I mean like it's not exactly, it could be healthy that woman could be the healthiest person ever, she could be healthier than me Yes. And I'm only a size I'm only a size like you know. Now the but only thing,
1: and I know we're going off on a tangent here, but the only thing that bothers me is with this BMI thing, you know, this body mass index or whatever yeah. they call it. That even somebody who is like a few pounds or maybe a stone or two overweight, they're they're rated now as being obese, and I hate that word above all. Now I really hate yeah. that word. But you know, you're rated as being obese even though you might look grand, you know.
8: That is just crazy. I so, mean, like, you go into a shop then and, like, you would be a 14 or 16 in one shop, you go to another shop, to be, you could be a 12. I mean, like, I, in pennies, I can shop in the kids' section. In River Island, I have to buy a size 8 in H&M. I, do you know, it's all different. It depends on where you shop and what you Are you buy. serious? Yeah, it it really, and I mean that, like, I mean, like, I could go into pennies and I fit into the kids' clothes. I try to buy something in the kids' section of violence. it will not go across me. It's all about where you shop. So where is, like, in that Rolls-Royce book, when all these people that want to take out the words, mm. like, say, fat, for example, mm. that one word, like, where is the definition of fat? Show me fat.
1: Yeah, I know. Eleanor Hooker, the um, poet, made a great point to me yesterday. She said, rather than do this and take out words and change literature, teach your kids to be discerning and teach them to have critical factors that they can read it themselves and say, okay, that's not appropriate now for our time, but it was of its time, and then move on. Simple as that.
8: Yes, exactly. I mean, mean, years ago you could call someone a known shock, you could call them this, that and that or, Do you know, and you had to get on with it. But like, nowadays you do that, you'd have social workers at your door, do you oh, know what I mean? Oh,
1: Christine, you're taking me back years now, a known shock. I haven't heard that for since I was My mother
8: still roars that me to just stay inside the house, I've been doing
1: something. shock. You know
8: what shock. I mean, like? <laughs> so, do you know what I mean, like? You oh, can, you're
1: bringing you, me back such memories.
8: Yeah. You, can't, you can't do that before, do you know. I mean, like, if my son goes into school and, oh, my mother called me a known shock, <laughs> <laughs> can't say see me. <laughs> you be know that I mean? uh, You I know. you just have to be so and like even my partner the other day, like, you know, I was given out to the child in the back of the car. Was, you don't know, really giving out to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you have to be careful you go into school now and repeat that. I'm like, Do you know what? And I mean like it actually really made you think. It's like you actually read that is the world we're living in, like, you know, you cannot criticize their yeah. child. And you you could have a knock
1: on your door with yeah. the, some yeah, officials like, there too
8: I'm, I'm not that type of parent to worry. I would turn around and i I correct my child the very same in public as I would if I If I was at home. Do you know, very I'm good. not one of these people... To, and you're
1: their like, mother and why not, yeah?
8: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like, the world has just gone so PC. When I seen the article, I was like, no way. I mean, they're changing a book that hundreds of kids, even yeah. myself, like James yeah. and the Giant Peach, are books yeah. like that, like, you know, um, with Aunt Sponge and Aunt Spike, stuff yes. like that. I mean, yes. like... Mm. I remember reading those books as, as a child in school and hearing them, and you know stuff like that. Like, and you just and I think the Sponge was the heavier person. So mm. I mean, like, what, she was called the Fat or something. And I mean, that's going to change.
1: Oh, it certainly is, indeed. Uh, great to talk to you, Christine. Thanks very much, indeed. Look after yourself. Best to your Thanks family, a Christine. It was nice Thanks. To be
3: Thanks. Thanks, and
1: and own Chuck. That's going to stay with me all day now. You know that, don't you? <laughs> Goodbye, Christine. Bye bye. Bye well, bye.
8: <laughs> I've been
1: one all my life, Christine. Thanks. I so.
9: Thank
1: <laughs> you. Bye bye. Bye bye. You know, that's uh, Christine uh, this morning. Uh, Ray is with me. Ray, good morning to you.
9: Morning, friend. How are you?
1: Great to talk to you. I have a feeling that you agree with Christine, Ray. Do you?
9: Absolutely. 100%. Yeah.
1: Do you think if people want to get offended, you know, they they will, I suppose?
9: People are going to get offended about matter what. You know, I mean, you like just talking about weight. Mean, uh, I say a good thing, over overweight. Hmm. So, um, um I don't care who cause it is. Yeah. It doesn't make a difference. I'm yeah. happy with uh, uh, with the way I am and the way I look. Right. You know. Um if and if people are going to get upset about uh words in a book. I mean so,
1: yeah.
9: yes, it's crazy. You know, it's uh, the whole world of the guns the dog.
1: And uh, do you think people are kind of waiting to be offended now in some way? Absolutely.
9: Right? You know, we're going and uh, like, like this didn't happen today or yesterday. This went on a long long time.
1: Do you think it is? Cause oh, I absolutely. thought it was more recent in terms of how prevalent it is, you know?
9: No, it's gone on with years. As, uh, oh, Ginny, if I could tell anything back there now, um, I mean, there's been change and stuff. You know, I've had conversations with guys at work Yeah. Uh, over the last five or six years, and different things being been changed. Names and stuff being changed, uh, but it's really just taken off in the last twelve months. I think.
1: Yeah, it, you know? se- it seems to be. Yeah, the, uh, again, I made this point yesterday, but the the books that got me through childhood were the Inablighton books, and uh, now so much of that has been rewritten because it's yeah, offensive I mean, to people. Yeah,
9: you know? I have loads of those books there, the, the uh, children's books I had them from my lads and my all yeah. well and truly grown up, now today,
1: yeah.
9: and we still read them today. You know, I mean.
1: But well, did I you read them thought. with that sort of critique, you know, to say, oh, that's an offensive word there. Now we can't be having that. Did you?
9: Well, no, because, I mean, look, I suppose you feel I've never read the uh, Roald Dahl books. Uh, mm, because, yeah. uh, we had all the other ones, the Eden ones and all the 84 know, yeah. books and stuff yeah. like that. Um, you know, it does, I mean, <laughs> how does somebody get uh, offended by fat? And as you said earlier, uh, the word novice is okay. Yeah, I,
1: I, I don't get that. I,
9: yeah, and I was watching actually the, the show last night and there was a broadcaster on there from she's a freelancer, I think, the works for public You know, yeah. In, it, uh, um, in her view, Enormous is okay. It's fine. It's, it's, it's about something different completely. It's not about uh, size or It's crazy.
1: So but, she, she said that Enormous was okay by comparison to the word fat, yeah, is that
9: it? The word fat, yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, Johnny Luby calls me fat all the time, but, you know, I'd, I'd prefer that than him saying, Fran, you're enormous today. You're you know?
9: enormous, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's,
1: it's crazy what's going on. But, uh, I, I don't know. What do, what do you make of your woman who um, dried the dog in the microwave, killed the dog, and then sued the manufacturers of the microwave? That
9: that woman should be uh, doing time, so she should. Kay. And anybody who even thinks about putting a... Any sort of an animal. I mean, even putting, like, t- t- to put a forehead into a microwave to drive, you'll want your head wet. Right. <laughs> nah, never yeah. mind saying animal. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, she should be doing time. Uh, David makes a very interesting point, and he says, Who are they that are changing the words in the book? It's actually the the publishers of the book that are well, afraid it, it, of retribution, and they're afraid of criticism, and that's, that's why it's the publishers who are making this decision.
9: Well, it, I. Don't think to be fair, friend. It's, it's all down to the publishers. The publishers are being requested to do this mm. by a very small minority. Mm. You know, but, but very,
1: very vocal groupings. Oh,
9: very vocal yeah. group, and they're the ones that dictate what's going on in schools, the, the curriculum that should be uh, uh, taught to school. You know, to young kids in school, yeah. with sex education. I mean. Yeah. Like that's just madness, and any um, parents that allows this to, you know, for their, t- their kids to be uh, taught this kind of stuff in school is.
1: To... Is that where they'll reference porn, for example, and they'll? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
9: Yeah. And I was watching the program about the other night, on the Monday night show, um, and yeah. like, yeah, I think Ka- know,
1: Katie Hannon's program, is
9: Katie it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and like she shut down. Uh, one speaker who was speaking against the show because it didn't see the narrative there, something you know. And this is not the first time that you see this in RTE. Absolutely, mm-hmm. seems to be going to the dogs with of either.
1: Do you think there's a single narrative about all of this kind of stuff?
9: Absolutely, right? yeah. Um, if if you can, uh, you know, if if all the mainstream uh, media can uh, get this message across that this is the way it is, and and actually that was your co- uh, your one comment last night on the mm. Tonight Show. is they this get over and done with it, you know what I mean? Like just get out of it the way it's going to be. Well, why should
1: it be the way it's going to be? It might be the way it's going to be for her or her family or whatever. Mm. But not Uh, everybody's family. Funny, I mean, I'm not talking up for RTE here, Ray, but I can understand to some degree why commentators and why broadcasters are careful because you could be involved in the cancel culture. I mean, you could lose your job. You could be cancelled.
9: Yeah, but cancelled by who?
1: Well, by the broadcast broadcasters themselves by the management and stuff because, uh, you know, you might be offending okay, so too many people out there.
9: Right, so who's putting pressure on them for the, uh, for the cancer summer?
1: Well, I mean, look at what happened to George Hook, for example. And whether you agree or disagree with... You know, well, actually, I
9: was watching him last night and um, like, I Was wouldn't he on be last night? Friend? Was he? Yeah. No, he was on last night. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be a fan of George Hook when he was on the radio station. Yeah,
1: nor me. Uh, yeah. any
9: stretch of the radio station. But, yeah. by God, he made a lot of sense last night, so he did, you know, he said it, it, it takes... You know, he didn't go onto the show last night to say what they wanted him to say. Right, yeah. Or, or to hear what, what, you know, what like just what people wanted to hear. He said... It, it,
1: uh, yeah, it but he, he's without a job now, because he said... You know, I I, I don't want to go back into it, but it was about the rape case in Belfast, you might remember, and... Uh, I don't actually
9: remember. Yeah, that. Yeah, no, but yeah. I mean, he, uh, I thought he actually retired. Mm. Because, uh, if I'm
1: not... If I'm, oh. Well, yeah, he retired, okay. but you know that kind of retirement, you know? Yeah.
9: But I think he's, and uh, famous. I don't think George is, is too worried, he's financially fairly okay, uh, you know, yeah. and he's a good age.
1: But just reading today as well that parents will now be able to remove their children from that new sex education uh, lessons if they wish to, so, you know, at
3: least
9: yeah. that's theirs. Well, well, I hope that they do wish to, because, Yeah. you know, I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and we didn't have any sex education, we got on fairly okay in life, so we did.
1: Yeah, it's a very different world now, though, Ray, isn't it? I mean, they're confronted with all sorts of stuff on social media, on phones, on laptops, all of that. So, you know, it's a different world, in fairness.
9: Yeah, but that was, like, when I was younger, and there was no social media, there was no phone. Yeah. You know, we were scouting (laughs) scouting one of those um, uh, archives, shall I say, uh, for... Different types of magazines, you know. Right. And okay. And they were readily available somewhere. So if you wanted to see it, I mean,
1: this is not a new thing. So it's not porn. probably been there for centuries. Right. But the whole uh, uh, gender thing and all of that. You see, it's also confusing for kids now. I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds about this. To be honest with you, Ray, I think they need some kind of education about it, just to 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 sort it out for them. You know.
9: Well, they do. But I mean, the parents can can uh, educate them. Oh, on good point.
1: Okay. Right. So you know. it should be down, oh, obligation of the parents. Is that it?
9: Absolutely, because. Like kids are inquisitive, uh, the best of times, you know. Yeah. Um like I I have uh, six grandkids that would be asking questions, you know, um but like I wouldn't even divulge to them that's their parents' um job. It's not my job, you know. Um and I would assume yeah. that the parents have, you know, be, like because like when kids are in school and there's a bunch of them in the playground and there's talk going on. And then they come home and they ask questions. You know, mammy, what's this? Or daddy, what's that? Yeah. You know, so my kids are going to find out about LGBTQ. They're going to find out about what a gay or what a lesbian is and all that. But that's for the home.
1: Right. It's not not for the school. And I'm it's sure there's the teachers out there that might go along with you on that, because I, I'd say that, you know, the curriculum is packed anyway, and I'm sure teachers would prefer not to have to get into all of this. But will it always be dealt with properly in the home? Will it be dealt with comprehensively in the home, do you think, Ray? Well,
9: probably not comprehensively, Yeah, but I'm sure it will be dealt with.
1: All right, okay. Uh, Ray, great to talk to you today, and we appreciate your time, Ray. Thanks. No problem, Thanks. Bye bye, you know. That's much. Ray speaking mm-hmm. to us this morning. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is always 3 311 3311. Mary, you made me laugh at that, but I can't possibly read it out. Thank you, though. Um, a known shook is a great word, Fran. Uh, my old Shagosha, my aunt used to say when we visit her as well. Great words indeed. I think, wasn't a known shook? Wasn't that a female gobda, If you know what I mean, wasn't it, Somebody might check that out for me. A shook. I think that that's what it was, anyway. Um, okay, right. Lots more coming in. Let me have a read through it. I'll bring it to you in just a moment.
0: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry. In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie.
1: People wondering again about uh, that uh, publishing company who made those decisions. Seemingly, it's the Roll Dal Story Company that has made those edits. And they're saying it came from their ongoing review process, which has been ongoing since 2020, where small and carefully considered edits are made. So there you go. Now, some people are of the opinion that it would be better to let the books go out of print, let them fade away, as opposed to changing what the author had in mind. Now, it's also very important to point out that Roald Dahl himself, he was absolutely no angel. He was a nasty creature at times, Uh, He was certainly very anti-Semitic in an awful lot of what he had to say uh, in interviews and uh, the like as well. So I suppose it's important to uh, keep that in mind. Fran, I couldn't text uh, earlier because I was driving, but when Dave texted in and asked who they are, you said it was the publisher. Can you find one of these easily offended people and get them to come on the radio? I would love to get an insight into how uh, they tick and how they survive in this world. Uh, Fran, it's a pity they wouldn't cancel Love Island, etc. These programmes are so uh, offensive. Many ads are sexualized towards women, says another one of our listeners. Somebody else saying that uh, what about Norma Foley allowing uh, kids or wanting to allow kids from 16 upwards to uh, decide their own gender and to change gender if they wish without parental uh, consent? It's disgraceful, says uh, this listener. He goes on to say some other things about the minister as well. Uh, Okay, and lots more about the word onshuk as well. Uh, One listener saying, is that a kind of an egypt?" Yeah, that would be my understanding of it anyway. Are there any of those old words that brings you back memories, by the way? Um, And uh, would you like to share with us as well? A listener says, dear enormous Fran... (laughs) I would have got a belt across the ear for bad grammar were I to use some of what they are promoting today, it says here. Yes, I, I I know what you're making reference to there. Now, one of the leading candidates to replace uh, Nicola Sturgeon, uh, Scotland's First Minister, uh, claimed it's wrong to have children outside of marriage. Kate Forbes has uh, faced a fierce backlash indeed over her religious views, but she insists that her campaign... Um, uh, to take over from uh, Miss Sturgeon is not over. and She's currently on maternity leave, but she says that having children before marriage is something that she would personally seek to avoid. So is her view outdated? Uh, Chloe joins me now. Chloe, good morning to you. Good
10: morning, friend.
1: You're a young mum, Chloe. I'd love to know, what what do you make of uh, what uh, Kate Forbes had to say?
10: Well, um... I think they were definitely taking her out of context because I actually went and watched the interview. Mm. Um she didn't specifically say that it was wrong. She was actually Sky News seemed to be pushing her in the direction to say that because of her beliefs that it was that she was trying to state that it was wrong to yes. have her, to
1: her my... religious beliefs of course
10: yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm. because of her religious beliefs. Mm. But um I think the, the interviewer for Sky News was kind of pushing something controversial. They were trying to get, you know, her to say something controversial. That's the kind of tone I took from the interview anyway. Um, But yeah, I I didn't see in the interview her ever really state that it was wrong to have kids outside um, outside Mm. of marriage. She said she would
1: personally seek to avoid it.
10: Yeah, she'd personally seek to avoid it, but that's because of her own faith and her own beliefs, And that's a personal choice. Mm. And I think that when it comes to personal choices, that's why it's called a personal choice. It's your own personal decision. It's a private matter. It's something that it's action that you choose to take upon yourself. It's not um, put out into the world for the judgment of others. So I don't know why it's anyone else's business, really. <laughs> but
1: okay, okay, a very good point. So are you saying she was taking out of context uh, then?
10: Yeah, I definitely yeah. think she was taken out of context and I suppose the interviewer was trying to push it in a yeah, you Yeah, know, to make a, it a, a bit more
1: controversial or whatever. Yeah,
10: yeah, make it some controversial so that they get a lot more views and stuff. Um, but, like, personally... Um, when I, you know, read stories like that, and before I even looked at the interview and stuff, um, I have a lot of elderly people in my life who strongly believe because of their own faith that kids outside of marriage, um, it's just not, it's not the way you're supposed to do things.
1: And and did you have an experience of that yourself, Chloe?
10: I I have, yes, I've definitely experienced that, and what's great about today, you know, um, and Ireland today, is that people change, you know, it's it doesn't matter about your own personal beliefs because, you know, that may have been the way that it had to be back in, you know, the time that they were growing up in. But um, I've had people in my life, you know, who they do believe that because of their own faith. But when it came to uh, my time to have a child outside of marriage, they were so supportive. And I was shocked. And I loved it because Right. Really and, and, me and that were you careful about telling mind.
1: were you careful about telling them Chloe because you weren't sure how they'd react is that is that yeah yeah I was so nervous were you
10: yeah I was really nervous because uh of course I love um I you know there's a couple of elderly people in my family I, they're so close to my heart like mm. um and you know you are you are really nervous to tell them and it's such a special time in your life um but you do really you know that it means a lot to them to do things traditionally, of course, and of yeah. course you want to make them proud. So, if you want to make someone proud, you want to do it the way that you know you know that they would prefer.
1: And you know? did you think they'd be disappointed in you, Chloe? And I way.
10: did. Yeah, I, I did believe that they would be disappointed. But I mean, it was a happy time in my life, and I yeah. knew that eventually, you know, they would be happy for me. But that maybe the initial shock of you know hmm. oh, I'm going to be an unmarried mother yeah. might you know might be a little disappointing, but It wasn't, and these are people who, you know, they've had their beliefs for many, many years, and um, I think just because it was a joyous occasion, you know, it just it overcame all of that, and it just became just this beautiful moment. And personally, I found that absolutely beautiful. Like, um, do you know I'm I'm delighted
1: to hear you say this because I mean, this morning we're talking about you know the cancel culture, and we're talking about nowadays how it's. You know, they won't even leave uh, literature alone without examining it in light of what we believe today and all of that. But yeah, you're saying to me... because that... they
10: put dolls in my yes. oh <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still
3: crossing. that. <laughs> I
1: know, me too, yeah. And, but, uh, you know, you're saying to me that, you know, things have moved on and maybe there's a bit more kindness and empathy out there now than there used to be.
10: Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, just because somebody is raised in a certain belief of, um, you know, a traditional family unit, it doesn't mean that when they're older um, and they have now younger family members who are doing things a lot differently. I mean, like, if you're someone who um, was gay or lesbian um, a long time ago, you you were afraid to tell people in your family, you know? Yeah. Because that was just the way it was. It's not a traditional family unit, so you're going against the norm. And to go against the norm is such a big deal back then because, you know you're mm. disappointing everyone and your your is going to be terrified because you're <laughs> you're not um going to be happy in your life basically um and that's what people believed you know and that's why people were so unable to be honest with and themselves and so would would you
1: be aware of people who didn't have as um as good an experience as you for example would you have been aware of girls who would be ostracized because of that over the years
10: um i i don't know anyone now my own age um, yeah. who's been ostracized first but I personally, I come from a one-parent family,
3: yeah.
10: um, and that's that's where I get my beliefs, from, or not my beliefs, but my experience, and yes. where I take my experience um, about this topic from. Because honestly, I believe that if my parents had stayed together, that it wouldn't—I wouldn't have had such a happy childhood. You right. know, I believe that my mom was such a wonderful single mother. That I was given everything I needed because she was happy. You isn't know? that fantastic? And yeah, isn't that great to be able that, to say
1: that? Yeah.
10: Um, I think that it's regardless of the, you know, the romantic relationship, or the romantic status of a relationship, all that really matters is that two people prioritize the needs of the child above all else. And it's fantastic if two people romantically are involved and. You know, they make that work as well as being fantastic parents. Right, that's beautiful and fantastic, and yeah, that's the traditional family unit, and absolutely amazing if that works.
1: But it can work in another way. You're saying to me, it
10: can, yes, and that's the thing. People are diverse, and people are unique and complex, and people also change and grow throughout the years. You can't say that you're going to be the exact same person in five years' time. You know. Um, And I believe that, you know, you could choose to have a child at a certain age and then in 10 years' time, you could be a different person completely, you know. But all that really matters is that within that 10-year time frame is that you and the person who you've had a child with are completely on the same page as prioritizing that child's needs and the love of that child above either of your individual wants or needs. That that child is above all else. The most biggest priority in both your lives. And I think your romantic status um, has no effect on that. And if you, you know, if you can co parent really well, I think that's a great thing, you know. And some people then they can't co parent really well, or there's a partner that's not there. Mm. And mm. I think that there's a lot of independent fathers or mothers out there who can raise the kids by themselves. And in those situations, sometimes they are a lot better off, you know, because that person's happier because they're not in a bad relationship.
1: You know, that kind of way, like Chloe, did you get all this wisdom from, from your mum? Did you get this you know <laughs> I must have, friend. <laughs> no, but I mean I could listen uh, to she, you all day. <laughs> yeah, I could listen to you all day on this. I mean that that's the most sense that has been talked on the program for for, for months as, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. No,
6: yeah, really no is, my
10: yeah. mum my was fantastic. Like um she she you know, she just did absolutely she was a father and a mother and I'll I'll never forget it. We were in a council estate that was all families. And even in primary school, everybody had the family unit, you know, the mom and dad at home. And there was only about two or three of us in the class who were from one parent families. Um, some of us from, you know, lost, or some of us from, you know, just one parent just wasn't in the picture. And I found that growing up, it was a big deal to be um, a lone parent, as it was called. And it wasn't something that was that, um, <clears throat> it wasn't that common, I suppose. Well, well, when I was growing up in a small village anyway, it wasn't a common theme mm. in the village. Yeah. So I think it was just such an amazing and strong way for me to be raised because it was it showed me that women can do whatever they want, you know? And I was raised by a mum who taught me to be brave and strong and independent. And I, I've taken that throughout my life. And I've always believed that everybody has the right to their own beliefs and to make their own decisions. But I also believe that you should always be well-informed and, you know, never make rash decisions. Always have the information you need and never judge people because you don't know. You you might get a piece of information that changes your mind completely. So I think it's great to have an open mind and just be strong and independent.
1: Chloe, do you know something I needed to hear from you today? Re- oh, good. I, re- I really did. I also, I really did. Do
10: you know what? I needed to hear your calm and soothing voice, too, friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Chloe, it's a real pleasure. You look after yourself. Thank you so much for you that. You too, friend. Thank you. Have and a thank great you. morning. You Take too. Care. Thank you. Bye bye, now. That's Chloe there with incredible words of wisdom. I'm sure I'm sure you will uh, agree. 1800 007. Text WhatsApp 083 311 311. I'll be right back.
11: If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007 no, A listener
1: says it's Amadon, another uh, Irish word that has gone out of fashion. Yeah, Amadon and Awnshuck and all of that. Alright, we're beginning to collect them. O eight three three double one double three double one. It's time to talk farming now. Glad to be joined by Katrina Morrissey, News Editor with the Farmers Journal. Good morning to you, uh, Katrina. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you today. Can we talk first of all about the targeted Agricultural modernization Scheme that's TAMS 3 and what's the story there, Katrina?
12: Uh, the story there is some good news for anybody I suppose who's investing on their farms. Um, TAMS is a well-known scheme for farmers Um it has had a number of iterations um, but basically they are aid that's available from the Department of Agriculture for farmers who are doing things to improve their farms mm. and often related to environmental improvements. So things like being able to have bigger slurry tanks, um, more, I suppose, environmentally efficient slurry spreading equipment and farm safety. There's a big focus on farm safety in this round of TAM3. There are higher grant rates to some of the farm safety items. So, yeah, it's, it's an investment scheme, if I could describe that for farmers where they're able to get uh, grant aid from the Department of Agriculture to improve their farm, be it from an environmental point of view, a farm safety point of view, or a general efficiency point of view.
1: Very good. I know dairy farmers, what what are they waiting for? They, they're they waiting for further news on this, aren't they?
12: They are, yes. Yeah. So We know that dairy farmers have got a list of items now that they can apply for and that's everything from farm roadways to calving cameras, underpasses is a, a very welcome one for yes. some dairy farmers in the country um, who, you know yourself now, road safety these days it's a very, very difficult thing to put cows across the road twice a day. It's a dangerous thing. Um, It's an expensive investment, an underpass but uh, the Department of Agriculture has, um, I suppose, reacted positively to requests for a number of years now that uh, underpasses would be eligible for TAMs. Going back to your question, Fran, farmers are waiting to hear that on the milking equipment items on the TANs list, they're waiting to hear if there's a cow limit to be imposed. Huh. We understand that there's going to be a 120 cow limit imposed in general, a slightly higher 160 cow limit for partnerships and young farmers, but that farmers would be limited... Uh, to 120 cows to apply for specifically milking equipment.
1: That's very interesting, and uh, therefore, and again, uh, you know, forgive me because obviously a non-farmer here, but would that entice p- uh, farmers to cut down on their herd then?
12: And not necessarily. I don't right. think um, because I suppose dairying is still the most profitable yes. um, sector of farming. Uh Milk prices are on their way down at the minute, but it is it has outperformed consistently the other sectors in recent years. Farmers, it. It's not a short-term decision, really, that you take on count numbers. You go yes. up gradually um, and, and you, you cut down gradually. Um, so, no, but they would obviously have to pay then more out of their own pocket for whatever equipment they're getting. So, it would be factored in. If someone has, let's say, a 12-unit parlour and they're thinking of adding on, would they add on four units or eight units? the total cost will be one of the factors in that decision. If they are getting grant aid, that would be obviously help. So that's where it will come into oh, right. play.
1: Interesting. Uh, BSE raising its ugly head in Brazil. But it might be a nil wind that might blow good for Ireland.
12: That's right. And we actually have had that case confirmed just this morning from Brazil. So that is a confirmed case of BSE in Brazil. It's in one of the northern states, Para. Um What will happen now is that Brazil will be locked out of China. And that is a big move on the world beef market because Brazil is responsible for about 25% of the world's beef exports and China is responsible for 25% of the world's beef imports. So what will happen is the Brazilian beef will now be uh, locked out of China, which has the strictest rules Mm -hmm. on, um, uh, I suppose, national herds. That have had incidents of BSE. We've only just gotten back into it ourselves here in Ireland. Yes, sure. Yeah. So it will have two things. Number one, it will increase the number, the amount of Brazilian beef that's looking for a home on the world market, which is not a good thing for Irish farmers. But Since Ireland has been approved for beef exports into China, it means that Irish farmers will be able to supply what will be an increased demand from China for beef now because they will be looking for anything but Brazilian beef.
1: Right. It does show how volatile uh, a a national herd can be, though, doesn't it? I mean, we're just talking about one suspected case here, are we?
12: One suspected case, yeah. And uh, as you know, Ireland was locked out for, I think it was 18, 22 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can have a huge for an exporting nation like ireland um it can have a huge influence on what markets you can go to you know what your resulting price will be so um not good news for the brazilians mm. um some bit of good news for the irish uh, beef trade is good at the minute so yeah. this will probably put an extra little bit of glass on it
1: good stuff heritage grants as well uh, for old farm buildings katrina what's the latest on that
12: yeah, this is a great scheme and there's always huge, huge interest when we write it. So it's um, the traditional farm bu- farm buildings grant. It's not open yet. Um, there was some conflicting information yesterday. It's not open yet. It's expected to open very shortly. Um, but it is, it's there for, so let's say, you know, your own old stone built sheds mm. in an old yard. Mm. Um, it's being expanded. So it will now be available for uh, other things related to farm structures, like if there's a cobbled yard, walls, gate pillars, gates. Um, it's fair it's to conserve, I suppose, our national heritage. Yeah. And this is where it comes in under the Heritage Council's strategic plan. Um, you know, we do want to preserve our heritage. And, and this is a way of doing it because, again, it just helps someone. It's not an easy thing, I suppose, to, to be able to repair. It, it requires craftsmen and women. Um, to repair these buildings and keep them right. So now there will be a grant aid. The total grant it goes anything from about four thousand euro right up as far as thirty thousand euro. So, and it will mm. cover depending on. The item i suppose and, and and it's a very competitive process to get these grants but it could cost sorry it could pay for up to 75 percent of the cost of the work right which you, is a huge boon for even someone though, as i know myself their, that
1: that work can be very expensive katrina you, you know,
12: absolutely yeah. i mean these are when you're getting someone in to do this work they are craft people yeah. Um, and they—it it takes time, it takes knowledge, it takes training. You know, uh, so definitely not not a, a cheap job at all. That's mm-hmm. why the grant is all the more welcome.
1: Uh, for sure. Uh, I was reading in the journal today. Well, the egg farmers um, could be in trouble.
12: Yeah. Well, we actually spoke to a farmer who has gone out of business um, in this week's paper because uh, they say that the packers are not passing back price increases that they were promised. Um, it was an average, on average, farmers have only got, they say, about 0.7 of a cent per egg, whereas they were promised two cents per, eggs, per egg. Mm. So um, margins are tight in that business. And this is, it has actually put some people out of business. We spoke to a farmer in Monaghan this week's paper, himself and his wife have just cleared out the hen house. And they said they, they can't continue to make a loss if they don't get the um, the money that's due to them. And the full poultry chair is saying that you know some discount retailers have responded to um, protests which mm. farmers did uh, by giving a higher price for eggs, but some of it is not being passed back, and some retailers haven't done that.
1: And just finally, Katrina, if I could, following on from our conversation last week, a bit of a standoff where uh, whether or not to purchase a fertilizer, what what's the story there?
12: Yes, yeah, so we've lost on fertilizer in this week's paper. In fact, we have, I think it's a six or seven page special mm-hmm. on fertilizers. This is prime fertilizer buying time of the year, Fran. This is spring, you know, you get your fertilizer out, boost that spring growth, um, but the price is astronomically high. And fer- fertilizer is one of farmers' big inputs, whether you're a grassland farmer or a tillage farmer. So farmers feel that there's a price drop coming. Mm. They're really dragging their feet on buying what they need, Um, And they're buying what I would call almost hands to mouth, you know, they'll buy just enough, but they are holding out for what they hope will be a significant drop in price. Manufacturers and importers are saying there isn't a huge drop in price coming because we had to buy all this stock in Mm -hmm. at expensive rates. Um, so yeah there's a bit of a, a war going on there over
1: fertiliser at the minute Alright it'll be interesting to see what happens Katrina always a pleasure thank you for your time and good morning Thanks, to you, Katrina, about you that is Tipperary woman Katrina Morrissey there news editor for the Farmers Journal and of course the journal is on your shelves right now around the county 1800 938 007 uh, news and
0: information is coming up <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Tip Today. Thanks, uh, Pat. Uh, 1800 The text and WhatsApp is zero eight three three double one double three double one. Now we're with you every single weekday morning from 9 o'clock. And Tara spoke to me this morning about the issue of toilet facilities available on buses. Here's just a little of what she had to say to us after
5: 9 o'clock. There is a, bu- there is a, a public toilet right next to the bus stop mm-hmm. in care. Yes. But you are not allowed to use it if you're on the bus. What? Because, yes, if you ask the bus driver, can you get off to go to the toilet, he will tell you, oh, you can get off, but I will be gone when you come back out.
1: Why? Uh, like, is he like, not stopped for a period of time there? Or?
5: Oh, he is. It depends on how many people are there. If there's a big crowd getting on, you might be lucky enough if there's no queue to the actual bathroom in care. But if there's a queue, you actually have to wait till you get to Limerick, Cork or Waterford. to be able to use the
1: toilet because the bus won't wait and is there frequently a queue at that uh, toilet there that
5: public toilet in care yes because it's right um it's right next to the castle right okay so Uh, you'd have all the tourists and stuff now there is a good few facilities there i think there's four toilets yes like there's a disabled one as well but the bus drivers will not give you the time even if you have a child i was told once that if I got off the bus and left my kids on the bus to go to use the bathroom, that the bus and my children would be gone when I came out.
1: And there you are. That was rather shocking indeed from Tara this morning, just after nine eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Time for our weekly health slot now. And uh, glad to be joined as usual by the CEO of Morito 8020 in Clonmel. That's Muriel Cuddy. Muriel, how are you? Good
13: morning, Fran. I'm
1: great. And good to talk to you today. Um you know you're going I I thought you hated dieting and the notion of dieting and stuff so why are you talking to us about dieting I hate
13: the word diet do you I absolutely and if I see it on anything or I see low fat of all of that you know you've heard me so many different times but I suppose there's so many people since Christmas time and I told you about all the screens we've been doing all the bits and conversations back in the office and it's people don't seem to know how to lose weight mm. or if the weight comes off it goes back on again or they can't lose enough and all the different bits and I suppose for me it's just can we just can I give some tips or can I give some advice or mm-hmm. the education or support around how you can actually lose weight effectively and what's actually happening in the body because you've heard me talking about Saxenda and the leptin and ghrelin hormones yes. there's so many different sides to it so if you talk about things like say we're seeing a lot of insulin resistance so we're seeing a lot of like pre-diabetic we're seeing a lot of the car- cardiac side, right? So what's actually happening in our worlds? Why are we so different now than what we were even 15 or 20 years ago, you know? And I think definitely cortisol is one of the things that being released into our system is definitely driving us cracked, right? So when you release cortisol into your system and we know cortisol cortisol is a stress hormone, right? Mm. It's managed by by our adrenals um, and it gives it's supposed to manage short-term stress and if you put it with your melatonin or whatever then it manages your sleep cycle as well. Um, so many people are flooding cortisol into their system on a continuous basis. Be-
1: because they're stressed, is Because they?
13: of stress and then because of other things, as in like your diet and just all the other sides, your sleep cycle and all mm. the different sides to it. Um, now, I suppose we take in so many what we would call dysfunctional carbohydrates. That's really messing with us. And we have to recruit more and more cortisol to manage... Our relationship with those dysfunctional carbohydrates and glucose. And there's two phases to it, Fran. So I'll just talk you through the two phases. Mm. So the first phase is very high cortisol. So, what does a very high cortisol and continuous cortisol dripping into your system do to you? So, things like thinning hair and skin, okay, increased belly fast, fat, muscle loss, high blood pressure, poor sleep, decreased collagen protein in our bones, joints, and discs, increased co- um, cholesterol, decreased vitamin C, plus acid reflux, okay? that's from the cortisol oh. and we're talk- that's just the first phase then the second phase and the second phase is low cortisol and it's not because we've low cortisol because it's cortisol resistance at this stage because it's feeding the whole time mm. now we're actually resistant to it what does this cause? well symptoms of inflammation that's number one and then all the itises so you know the itises as in arthritis, partitis, tendonitis all of that kind of thing. Um, decreased immune response. You're open to viruses, parasites, bacteria, increased allergies like asthma, poor memory. You're a bit inability to adapt to stressful situations. You fly off the handle without any, any like reason or whatever. Right. And anxiety. So like this is diet related. And I'm sure there's so many people listening to this and that actually makes sense. Mm. And I've people coming into me that look relatively healthy and slim and all the bits and pieces, but um, their diet is wrong. And their cortisol levels are high. So their cortisol levels are high, um, um, along with stress and along with the diet side of things. And they don't know how to manage. And
1: even though they look slim. They look, and,
13: yeah. And yeah. when I talk to them and when we do the blood work, because I do the blood work on so many people now to actually see what's happening behind the scenes. Mm. You can see it straight away. You can see like liver profiles and co- um, cholesterol profiles and sugar profiles are all going wrong. And and they know it themselves. And you're sitting chatting to them and you say mm. it to them. And it's, I know I actually know myself, I know I can't cope, I know I have the kids, I know I have all of this going on and I know the weekend goes back into the week and I feel really miserable and I'm looking at him thinking, or saying to him, you're 40, your mm. blood work is wrong at 40, that shouldn't be happening, it should be a little bit later and now it's coming back to 30 and it even I even had an 18 or 19 year old the other day that the blood work was all over the shop and like we're fueling it and we're driving it ourselves behind the scenes by what's happening but like you, we, we spoke about a minute ago, it seems to me that the world has gone cracked. Doesn't it just? It actually does. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's not about the diet or it's not about the food. It's about us as people. Can we just go back Mm. a little
1: take and, a step back. I mean to sum it up is it simplifying our lives it, it, it's somewhere?
13: definitely like um, our expectations on things I think are way out of control definitely yeah. so I think we well, want everything immediately that's one of the things like say if you've had a long day and you're coming home and you, the thought of cooking dinner and things like that you just you don't want to do it so you're just going to you get to take weights easier that would mm. never have happened years ago mm. right expectations in weight, losing weight you want to lose three stone now and if you know, if it takes a while for the first two or three pounds to come off, then you're gone from it. Right. Our young generation can't manage at all. Like if if things don't happen immediately for them, yes. like. Yeah. They just can't cope at all. You know? Yeah,
1: they can't uh, suspend gratification in any way. like no, it's, just, we want it now. Yeah, and want it we, now. And if it doesn't yeah.
13: happen now, like I'm, I'm gone yeah. from it. Like, and that's even reading a book. Yeah. Like even to get him to sit down and read a book. Yes. Like my little fella said to me, "It's 500 pages, not man." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "It's a book." Jaden, it's supposed yeah. to be like 500 pages in it. You know, so it's the expectation side. That's one of the massive things to me. And when people come into me, I do talk about that straight away. And I would say to them, "Listen, where were you before?" you know, you're not in the best, you're not well, this can take us a while, like three months or six months or whatever to work through um, what's actually happening here. Mm. So is it diet related? But are you eating wrong because you're stressed? Mm. You know, and because you've too many things going on behind the scenes. Okay, so will we start there and start taking things out? So will we actually work maybe on your sleep first of all? Mm. Are you on the phone before you go to bed? Are you worried about things? Is the phone on your locker? You know, because if you don't get, what is it? I think it's about seven hours sleep. You're actually affected. You have fifty to, 55 to 89% greater risk of obesity if you don't get the right amount of sleep at night. Now, if you're not sleeping at night, that's fueled as well by diet. Because if you're eating too late and you're eating the sugar and everything, course, yeah. your body's going to wake at two or three o'clock because there's a spike in sugar, or because your digestive system is upset, or it's trying to work through the night to actually, you know, work. Yeah. W-
1: w- when you deal with, I mean, have you seen people reverse this completely, Mira?
13: That's one of the things that straight away that I meant to say at the end of the, when I was talking with the cortisol. It's totally reversible mm. in most cases, mm. you know, like I get blood work in and I sit down in front of people when we do it again in three months time and I'm smiling at them like, I'm so pleased to see you. And like, even when we were doing the screen, because we're three years in with one company and we do screen them every six months, mm. we'd look at each other when somebody comes in and everything is really good and you know where they've come from. And we're like, we are so pleased to see you. You make our world so easy. You make us smile. Mm. So it's totally reversible. Most of it, Fran. If, if you don't leave yes. it go too late, you can sit down, you can go through, like, journal things. You know I talk about journaling things. Like, the, to get rid of that diet mindset. It doesn't work. Whatever you do, it's an education. You've got to find out where you are and what works for you. Get a little support. And then the education side of doing it for life. That's yes. one of the biggest things. And
1: that's it. And I'm not sure that people want to hear that because it's a longer term thing, you know, because as yeah. you said at the very top, we want it immediately. Well, it's like
13: know? being pregnant. Yeah. Like, you didn't get sick overnight. Right. You know, so like yes. it, it, it took maybe 20 years to get to where you are. Mm. You know, like younger people, you can do their bloods and they might be eaten wrong and they're okay. But by the time they're 25 or 26, then you can actually see it, see it mm. starting to go wrong. It takes time to reverse it. Now, saying that, within six weeks, you'll see a big difference in somebody's sugars. You'll see a big difference like in blood, blood work if somebody pulls mm. it back into line. Now, I'm not talking about 100% of the time mm. you have to be perfect. I'm talking about 80% of the time. Mm. If you can even do the Monday to Friday and it's habits and it's mm. consistency, Fran.
1: And if you see that difference in six weeks, what are you seeing in the person? I mean, you know, from a health profile, what uh, are you seeing? It,
13: it's amazing. Like if you can do things like you can cut down on alcohol. Mm. So if you cut that out for the four or five days, that straight away will actually allow you to sleep that bit better. If you cut down the sugar, so alcohol and sugar are probably the two biggest ones that we have today. Sugar because it's carbohydrate based. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the dysfunctional carbs that we're talking about. If you can change from those two things to whole foods, like even do 60% of it. I see people coming into me saying, Muriel, I just can't believe the difference. I'm able to get up and go for a walk. I'm awake in the morning before the alarm goes off. I'm sleeping properly. This is just simple stuff. It's not like going out for runs and conquering the world and jumping to the moon and all the bits. It's just able to get in and out of the car, able to think. You know that your brain is starting to work again. That you're not forgetting things. Like...
1: How do you help them and what do you say to them? And God knows I'm getting freebie therapy here as well. But how do you get them to be able to push themselves to to get out there and walk and stuff? Because that sounds simple to most of the listeners, I'm sure. But to a lot of us that's a big step if you'll forgive the pun.
13: Mm. To get out
1: there and just walk.
13: I think when people come into me they're definitely in a space that they're nearly at the end of their t- tether that this is like I really need to do something okay. and I heard you or whatever. Some people aren't they might be in the middle ground or whatever but I think if you sit back and you listen to this this morning um, and you're miserable you've got to do something to bring back that anxiety and the stress. How do you do it? Do you go to the doctor? You'll be given a tablet. Like you'll definitely be given, you know, whatever they think will work for you. An antidepressant Antidepressant or uh, or whatever. That works on a short short term. We all know like you'll get a tablet for a tablet and it'll have to be increased in all the bits. So if you don't pull back and help yourself, if your car is broken down in the morning, you've got to bring it to somebody to get it fixed. Mm. If you're broken, you've got to get yourself fixed. Do you do the preventative? Do you do the simple things that we're talking about now that you actually say to yourself right runners on and a walk around the house mm. it doesn't have to be up the road to meet anyone it can be around the house 10 times it can be up and down the stairs if I don't get to the gym I know the stairs inside and the building are there mm. and for me it's mobility is it one at a time or two at a time but it's just for my mindset to make me feel better it's nothing to do with the exercise or the the, the the diet or the weight or whatever it is I know it makes me feel better so for people if you're afraid to go out on the road just stand up and even for older people that don't have the mobility, it's simple things like standing up and down into the chair or sitting down and standing up. Right. Once you're using your hands and that, just little things, put your hand against the wall and do press ups and that. Little things like that will start increasing the mobility straight okay. away.
1: So I go in the door to you and I say, Muriel, look, I'm feeling grotty. I'm mm. feeling miserable a lot of the time. As you can see, I'm a little bit overweight, blah, blah. What What's your first step? What, what I do you always
13: tell me? say to him, I, let's go backwards to go forwards. Okay. okay. What age are you?
3: Mm.
13: When did you start feeling miserable? Can you actually remember how long this is going on for? Is it 20 years ago? Is it 10 years ago? Is it five years ago? Most people can kind of put a time on it that they know when they felt well and they're, Mm. you know, when they started escalating. Um, For a lot of people lately, it's like even COVID and pre COVID, it started really. That was a trigger
1: for a lot of people. Yeah, and a lot of people um,
13: had bereavement during COVID and worked from home, and there was just different things that kind of, you know, now. Other people find it's come back fifteen years, yeah. you know. So it's come yeah. back a long time or whatever. But we go backwards first of all. And, and we talk about all of that and talk about the stress and where that's coming from or whatever mm. and then we start zoning in more um, say focus on for me the exercise is the mental head it's not the weight related mm. and mm. it's not you know the health markers and all that kind of thing 80% of that comes from what you're actually eating and putting into your body the 20% then for the mental head and the cardiovascular side is the exercise side mm. um, so we talk about the food, food side of it and I'll actually get them to talk me through what they eat every day and, the, and their week and that and we write it down and I work it out and I say to them listen can you actually actually see 70-75% um, or 80% of your diet is carbohydrate based. Look at this as we go down through it, you only have 20% maybe protein and 5% essential fat. And when you're, they're looking at it, they're saying, right, okay. And I'll explain to them then, carbohydrates are your sugar. Carbohydrates are, not your sugar, sorry. Carbohydrates are your energy, mm, okay. Mm. We are literally a, a unit of energy in versus a unit of energy out is how we maintain our weight. Mm. If we take in good carbohydrates, our body can function really well on them, okay. Plant sterols, antioxidants, which is all our colour. Mm. Um, fruit, veg, all of that. High fibre, like your brown breads, your porridges, your wheat Weetabix, and things like potatoes that are really getting a bad rap. They're like good carbohydrates that fuel the body, really well if there's one two or three ingredients in it it's good you get your energy from it and you won't store energy which is the body fat side right protein is the next one about 50 percent of our diet should be carbohydrate based um as we reach like say 50 plus mm. unless you do an high level of exercise for our kids 65 70 percent the others two sides and your protein and your fats so the protein is 25 percent of your diet it should be made up for 25 percent of to your diet we need muscle we need to maintain our muscle we need to maintain our, our, our bone mass if we don't have enough protein in our diet we don't do that it also stabilizes our metabolism mm. okay it even speeds up our metabolism a little bit really good for stabilizing the blood sugars because you're not putting sugar into your body okay so protein is like all your meat um, all your dairy uh, eggs things like that okay but you've got to have 25% what it is is that the skeletal makeup of the body your hair your nails your skin your bones your muscles you can't retain protein so you can't retain it as body fat right okay so that's good for people to know so a really good breakfast in the morning it, it, like it can be eggs mm. um, and a, avocado you know something like that will stabilise the blood sugars after the night And it'll say to you that you're not going to crave sugar as the day goes on. And the missing piece then that really bothers me that people don't get enough of is the essential fat. Mm. Essential fat, like we're talking about anxiety and stress and depression and that. If you haven't enough essential fat, you're going to have all of those. Depletion in omega-3s, it's proven, you know, that you will feel more stressed and more anxious. Um, We're finding when we do the blood profile, the HDL, which is the good cholesterol, Mm. is really low in people. Good fil- cholesterol manages and absorbs, mops up the bad cholesterol and takes it out of the body. If your good cholesterol is 1 or 1.2, that's too low. It needs to be up around maybe 2.4 or even 2.5. If you can get a really good profile that your good cholesterol is high and your bad cholesterol is where it needs to be, mm. your body is starting to get healthy then. And that's right. your essential fat.
1: And Everything is reversible that you've been speaking to me Everything about. Everything is yeah. like, and it, that's what great. I'm talking yeah. about
13: every day with people, that we actually see this being yeah. reversed, which is... That's
1: yeah. great. And and yeah. just finally, because I want to talk to you about something else too, but uh, yeah. do, do you see that people would come into you and say, look, I am the way I am, but I eat very well. But you discover when you examine what yeah. they're eating yeah. that it's not very well.
13: Pe- people just don't know the difference, really. I think um, it's like the pharma world, the food world. Uh, there's so much money pumped in behind the scenes in the advertising side. Of what we can and can't have, and people would say to me, "But that was a McDonald's salad, but there's only two hundred calories in it." Uh, um, calories don't equate. Like you could eat X amount of broccoli um, and X amount of steak, or, or X amount of whatever. Say whatever it would say. Mm. I can't think now the same amount of whatever. It it doesn't equate. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily because, nutritious. Is just is that yeah, what you're just because yeah. you've had two hundred calories of or four hundred calories of a, um, a happy meal or whatever it mm. is, or four hundred calories of a salad. There's okay. a big difference in the two. Right. Like you're not going to get the nutritional quality. Um, out right. of and the
1: that's the danger of calorie counting, isn't it? Well,
13: the, the, the visceral fat levels we're finding are higher in people because the nutritional quanti- quality isn't. So in that's their like food. the hidden
1: hidden fat. Inside, on the us. Internal yeah, fat. Yeah, okay. yeah. So
13: that's and you've got kind of very skinny person with a high level of visceral fat, and they're, they're, their cholesterol levels can be. That's wrong.
1: interesting. Uh, Trish was with us last week. You brought her in as your guest, and um, she had gone through the um, the anti wrinkle uh, treatment. You got a huge reaction
13: to this, didn't oh, you? Oh, unbelievable! To yeah. be honest, and. Again, I talk about the aesthetic side as in, for us, the aesthetic world, um, I do the health side because I'm passionate mm. about the health side. Mm. And you can hear when I'm when I'm talking about it, I mm. get kind of carried away about it. But I'm just finding the aesthetic side is starting to equal it mm. in relation to how people feel about how they look. And last week, I've goosebumps even thinking about it. A couple of conversations I've had, we've had numerous, but a couple really stood out in my head. Um, there was a couple of women that were actually on um, anti-anxiety, and depression tablets because of how they looked because the 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 aging process had accelerated so fast in their world for various reasons or whatever, um, they literally didn't want to leave, didn't want to go out, and I, that just blew my mind that they didn't realise there was they knew there was things there that you could do but they didn't realise what you could actually do they mm. didn't realise it was nearly for our age group mm. and I suppose then the other side as in it was local and mm. you can come to somewhere private that's local. Um, Two that, I'm, two that I'm thinking of straight off have been in and already the difference has been that there's tears and there's all the different, you know, the hugs and right. whatever it is. And yeah. that just blows my mind, and, and
1: this isn't just a cosmetic thing. As you say, this is a holistic thing. It, it was interfering with their lives and their, their mental health. And
3: uh.
13: um, They go in to Dr. Wan and they get whatever done. So it could be threads, it could be profilo, it could mm. be fillers or anti-wrinkle or whatever it is. But I suppose it's from the time you walk in the door, we're all involved. Right, because when you see somebody coming that's visibly upset, you know there's something wrong so before they ever go near anyone you've got to figure out, right can we do something here that we make their world better because Mm. it has to become better because they're in a very low place as it is and like, you know, we we don't want to talk about the tablets and all the different bits and pieces so that's the starting place, that can we manage their expectations but can we cultivate a relationship that we can all help, so they get what they want when they go into the room but they also get what they can from all of us as well if that makes sense to you. Um, And yes it's affecting people's necks, hair loss Mm. so many different things that you just wouldn't realise. Like you're behind the mic there and I'm doing what I'm doing every day and you're turning around or whatever. We, like both of us, Mm. have issues Mm. ourselves, you know. And like if it's something that you want to get fixed, well and you're worried about it. So say if it was my neck and I'm afraid every single day going out and my neck is covered up. I've had four of them already. Four Girls already that keep it covered up to their chin in the last 10 days. So, this affects their
1: social life, it affects so
13: many different things. Like women that have different things wrong that Mm. they don't say to their husbands. I've men that have different issues, and I suppose Mm. men, it's more even on the hair loss and you know things like that. And
1: you know, there have been a number of times when you've spoken to me, and you know, people have been critical and saying, Oh, it's all about vanity, and Mm. it's it's not necessarily about vanity. I think the vanity side
13: is is probably about 40% of it, right. And I think the vanity side is even nearly younger. Okay. Um, on the older nobody wants to come in and change their face mm. nobody wants to look different mm. and you know a lot of people that come in it's, they're, they're completely on their own and they haven't told anybody behind the scenes mm. when they get the work done and they feel a bit better about themselves then they're ready to share mm. but they're a little bit afraid beforehand but all mm. most people want is if you've got big bags under your eyes down like down mm. halfway down your cheeks or whatever mm. they just want that just reduced a little they're mm. looking in the mirror they won't let anyone take pictures and it's really an item you can reduce that and nobody ever even knows it just looks like you've had a really good night's right. sleep but you so feel better. But if you're looking in the mirror, then you feel fine. Like If you're looking in the, if I'm looking in the mirror now and I like, look like I'm 65 or whatever, mm. you know, I'm going to be miserable. You want to feel your best and whatever, don't you? So the fact mm. that you can actually do that to me or we can help do it is just amazing.
1: Very good. If people want to talk to you or indeed any of the team, uh, how can they do that, Muriel? Yes,
13: they can give us a call on 052 6148 881
1: one. I've written it down this, this time because people um people keep asking me for it. yeah, do you want to give it one more time? O yeah. five two um oh five
13: two six one four eight double eight one.
1: Okay. Very good indeed. Great to see you, Muriel. It Thanks very nice much man. indeed. Eleven twenty five right now. We'll be going live to Ali in just a little bit.
0: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slatteries of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slatteries Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over fifty years in the Premier County. SlatteriesGarage.ie.
1: Hello to uh, lovely Noreen Marnan, who's uh, tuned her way. She walks around the duck pond in Dundrum, and she said, "Onchuk and Amadon uh, brought me back memories. Great day for a walk as well. It's his indeed, Noreen. Great to uh, hear from you today as well. The duck pond, of course, the, the posh name for it is Marl Bog, but we <laughs> we all know it as the duck pond. All right, various different queries in for Muriel. Will you talk to her? herself let me just give you that number again it's 052 614 8881 uh, if you chat her by phone because it is, some of that stuff looks rather private to me so I'm sure you want to speak to her uh, personally all right let's go live to our Ali who's out and about for us today Ali where are you
14: Hi Fran, I'm in Clonmel this morning. I'm here at Gail Colosh De Caton in Clonmel and I'm with the most extraordinary group, it has to be said, of TY students. And what they've done is they've designed their own Formula One car. And this is for an international STEM competition that they're taking part in. And just to give you the background to this, because I've never heard anything really like it before. But uh, we'll, we'll speak to some of the students involved. Leisha, lovely to talk to you this morning. Tell
15: us about this competition and how you became involved. So basically, uh, Formula One in Schools is an international STEM competition, as you said, where you design and race a miniature Formula One car. But you also have to create a marketing plan of how you're going to push your uh, project to other to other audiences. Are one of our main goals is to push it to youth in STEM but uh, basically we heard about it first when we were in third year before our junior cert we were asked to do it by one of our teachers and we didn't really know what to think of the competition but once we got stuck in it was this whole world of experiences and we've just been having a great time uh, building our project because essentially what it is it's like setting up a business that has like a product
14: or some involved in it, isn't it? It's, it's way more than just designing the car like you said.
15: It is, yeah. So we've been trying to, we've been, we've secured many sponsorships. We had to make a portfolio, for example, which was a whole thing that we had no clue about. Like we had no idea how to do something like that, but uh, we've created merchandise and stuff like that. It's, it's genuinely like a small enterprise or a mini business. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible. And I, I know it's probably taken up a lot of your time and all the
14: team here and you're, you're a lovely bunch and you all work lovely together as well. Has it been any rouse?
15: We're actually, we're very lucky. We were all good friends before the competition started, so we haven't had many arguments, but Chiron, sure, our team manager, he's great. He always knows just what to do to quiet us down if we start fighting. Tell me about then how exactly this competition will work. And Conal, I might come to you because
14: you're probably the lead engineer on this. Is this fair to say?
16: Yeah, I think it's fairly fair to say now. But yeah, so we're racing the we have to design a car, we have to make sure, there's so many different things that we have to make sure of because there's 30 pages of rules and regulations we have to follow. So we need to make sure, the big thing is the car is aerodynamic because the more aerodynamic it is the, it is, the faster the car is going to go down the track and loads of points obviously go if your car is faster than whatever team you're racing against car is. But it requires like a lot to design this car, you know, you need to go through the rules loads and it just you need to learn all these sorts of skills which I never would have thought I would have, you know, had to learn before.
14: And just to clarify, this isn't the size of a normal F1 car, it's a miniature version?
16: Yeah, it's a miniature one, so it's only about 21 centimetres long, so it's fairly small and yeah, it kind of fits in your hand of it.
14: So how will the competition work then? I know your regionals are coming up in the next few weeks, so how exactly will that work then?
16: So we're going to have, we're going to go up, it's going to be at some sort of venue, we don't know yet, but there's going to be a track and we're going to, so there's a fishing line guide and our car is going to sit onto that. And there's a co guide and our car is going to sit onto that and there's a CO2 canister in the back. They're going to puncture the CO2 canister and the car is going to race down the track. But it's not just racing. We also have to have a pit display, which is just a display where we show all the work we've done so far in the competition and what we plan to do if we make it past regionals. And we just have to display everything really, you know, all the marketing and they're just going to judge us on that and whoever's the most points obviously is going to get through.
14: And Will you steer the car? No.
16: No, the st- the car is on a line, so it's guided itself, and it's just a straight track, so it's going to okay. go on its own.
14: So it's it's like a propulsion almost then, and whoever the fastest is then.
16: Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Whoever's the fastest has more points.
14: And when it comes to the regionals then that you're you're facing now in the next few weeks, is that a knockout competition or is there points accumulated? How will that work?
16: Yeah, so it is a knockout. Uh, so the, how many teams? I think it's three with the most points or more, is it? Eight, so the eight teams who did the best will then move on to nationals for our region, and yeah, and then it's the top three in uh, for nationals. Then it's top three, and then they get into internationals. Then
14: and the internationals then are being held in Singapore. I think you said to me, is that the the main aim? You'd be hoping to make Singapore.
16: Yeah, one hundred percent. That's definitely <laughs> our aim.
14: Would you have been into Formula One before you started this?
16: No, actually not at all. Really? I had I had watched it about once before this, I think.
14: Are you into it now?
16: A bit more than I was before well, anyway. You
14: appreciate it more now.
16: Yeah, I appreciate it more,
14: 100%. What have you enjoyed about doing it?
16: I actually love, cause I just love learning all the stuff, you know, learning all these new skills with all these different softwares. It really gave me an opportunity to like, explore what I'm good at. Mm. And yeah, it's really helped in that sense.
14: I imagine it's taken up a lot of your TY, you're all TY students and I know how dedicated you are to this so it must be very time consuming.
16: It's extremely time yeah. consuming, lots of late nights in fairness but uh, you wouldn't mind it because it's a fun competition like it's yeah. good fun and our t- my team is great, we're, you know we're all good friends so you wouldn't mind doing it.
14: Yeah and there's a lovely vibe off you all I must say, you all seem to get along very well and marketing like you said is a big part of this competition as well and Kiran, you you're the head marketeer of this project are you?
17: <laughs> yeah. So um, another side to this competition, which we didn't really know about at all, was the whole marketing side. Like, You start the competition with no resources, no funding, and your whole goal is to raise all these funds. So at the start of the competition, myself, Felicia and Shona drafted a marketing sponsorship prospectus, and we sent it to businesses around the country, essentially and there was a visual with the different packages of our sponsorships on them, and they got back to us with what they'd like to contribute to it.
14: That's excellent, and locally then, how have the business, I know Boston Scientific in particular has been really helpful to you.
17: Yeah, Boston have been great. They're um, helping manufacture the car for us as well, and we're actually going up to Boston Scientific tomorrow to meet with graphic designers to talk about our pit display for regionals.
14: That's it. when you started this competition, did you ever think that you'd be going up to Boston designing parts of a car?
17: not at all yeah. like we were just sat at the desk like writing our name out you know and yeah. coming up with things to do it's it's really been an experience
14: would it inspire you to to follow on in a field like this after you leave school?
17: Definitely. I think I really want to go into business when I'm older. Really? yeah, definitely
14: Why was it that inspired you
17: It was just the whole like, reaching out talking to people we have to do budgets and things to be on top of our resources and it's just yeah it's been amazing
14: and they're all kitted out here as well this morning Fran, and I just want to talk a little bit Leisha maybe about this, because you do look like a pit crew, I'm sure that was the aim of it
15: Yeah, when we were designing our uniform we really just wanted to make it look interesting like we didn't want to make it boring but we also wanted to look formal enough, so we have our jerseys and uh, our colour scheme is blue, black and orange so when we were thinking of, of the colours we uh, we went and looked into colour theory and we found out that blue was kind of attached with like the sciences and cleverness. And we also so you went that much in depth
14: then that you went into the psychology of color to know what color your car and your your crew gear should be
15: we thought we'd set off on a good foot so we were very <laughs> ambitious at the start with our color theory but uh, we met with a graphic designer then and she told us to put orange in the mix because it's, it's more energetic and we were delighted with that so uh, yeah we're very happy with our uniforms yeah they're beautiful
14: could you tell me well? I know when people think stem they think oh I don't know stem for me now it's all coding and it's all that has it really opened your eyes to the variety in STEM?
15: It really has, because like our main goal is to just educate people that STEM projects, just like Formula One in schools, aren't just about sitting down with a computer. Some of it is, Colonel knows best better than all of us, but then some of it is meeting with fantastic people and getting to share your experiences, and one of our goals is to educate the youth, so we want to go into schools and talk to them about Formula One and just tell them that it's, it's, it's fun, it's genuinely not, sitting down and writing and just Boring stuff. And just to ask you, would you all have been into Formula
14: One before this? Anyone? No, no, but none of you were into Formula And now?
3: Yeah. yeah.
14: Would you keep it going? Will you keep watching Formula One after this? Or has it kind of reignited an interest for you? Uh,
17: yeah, no, definitely. Like, yeah. it, it, it just, this whole competition gives you, like, when you see all the teams at the Grand Prix you're like wow all the work that goes behind it like you know even down to the uniforms
14: Yeah and Connell when you were I know you were the main man behind the engineering of it was there any type of existing Formula 1 car that you modelled it off?
16: There wasn't really because the Formula 1 cars are kind of they're designed with other kind of forces in mind like drag and stuff but we definitely did look at you know kind of past other f1 and schools teams cars because they were a great help for us but when it comes to real formula car formula one cars not as much i think yeah
14: Leisha, I know there was a couple of other um, years in the school here in Gwethlá who've taken part in this competition as well. Have they proven to be a good source of our mine of information for you?
15: Yeah, we had a great team in uh, 2015 Surge Racing and I think they came, uh, they came third and then fourth due to scrutineering in nationals in Ireland. So we got in contact with them and they helped us a lot. They gave us a guide of what to do and all of their resources would still be in the school so we've been making use of them. So at regionals you're graded on a 10 page portfolio about marketing and another one about engineering and those portfolios from Serge racing are still in the school so we've been taking a lot of inspiration from them and they've been a great help
14: and marketing is a huge part of it as well I know you're 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 bait out from Instagram and TikTok. How is is that a difficult aspect of the competition that you maybe hadn't anticipated
15: yeah at the start we didn't really know how to approach our social media so we made an Instagram and we made a, a hey link me so we all our social medias would be in one place and then we made a QR Code, so it's really easy to just scan it, and they all come up. Uh, but our approach with the Instagram was to just share information with people. But with the TikTok, our goal was to share, kind of share Formula One in school in a humorous way, in a more casual, funny way to reach people our age about competitions yeah. like. Formula One in schools
14: and you've given me an education on TikTok as well this morning, so I do appreciate that but just to talk to one of your teachers now Connor is a teacher of engineering here at kitten Skull. Caden, Connor, you must be very proud of this group of students.
18: Yeah myself and uh, there's another teacher in the school who, are, who I suppose are monitoring the lads, uh, Mr. Keneally. Now the lads are lucky in Mr. Keneally's brilliant experience in the competition before he'd have been a big part of the surge team um but even in fairness to Mr Keneally he probably handpicked the lads. It's it's rare you'd get a team of this you know, as the lads say the characteristics that are involved in the in the competition. So it's very rare that you'd have students that gel together in this way. So it, even as part of the whole school, we're just very proud of the effort they've you see the lads going around the school they're 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 just putting an extraordinary effort into this. Yeah,
14: and I know you have your own office and everything that's kind of dedicated to this, That we won't see where it is because it's secret now at the moment, but... Um, Colin, it must be very inspiring for you to see such an interest in STEM because they're far from STEM. You and I were rares going yeah. to school.
18: Yeah, we were chatting before it. Um, we were saying boys well, in T.O. You know, we definitely didn't have the ambition as the guys have. But um, as part, even it's it's brilliant, even from an engineer and teacher perspective, you see the education the lads getting it so they can apply they can, they'll never lose the skills they learn in this, so they can apply this to their leaving certs, like the standard of, we'd say the standard of the projects that are submitted would be on a par with FYPs in college, yeah. so they'll, they'll be able to take these skills and they'll, they'll never lose them, they'll use them for their leaving cert for college, and even hopefully a few of them might go into the engineering fields they'll use yeah. them there, or are as in marketing and, and business as well.
14: And it's great, and it might open their eyes to fields that they probably might have considered. Yeah,
18: and especially like the lads were saying, in STEM, it's, it's not just maths, it's not science, it's not just engineering, the marketing side, meeting people, uh, creativity, problem solving, all those are, are such big parts of STEM that maybe people don't realise. And even as the lads, like the inspiring youth, the fact that they're going out reaching youth, I think is, that's just an incredible part of their project as well
14: and no better group to do it by god no better group can i ask you then i know regionals are coming up is the car complete connell i might ask you are we done with the car
16: we're not done with the car yet no
14: (laughs) we're nearly there though i know we're going to boston tomorrow are we
16: yeah in fairness we are getting there the graphic designers are going to help us tomorrow hopefully i say they will but yeah so hopefully We'll have it done soon enough, anyway.
15: Almost there. And Leisha, regionals are then when? Regals are, they're planned to be at the end of March, but the competition is run by college students, so they are very busy and we appreciate them a lot. So we're not too sure when they're going to be yet, but hopefully early April, late March is kind of. And when are we heading to Singapore then? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> next year hopefully the destination will be Singapore.
14: <laughs> so the regionals then, and then you go internationals, but the international finals then aren't until one year in fifth year essentially then, is it?
15: Yeah, so it'll be a lot harder to work on it when we're in fifth year, but we'll have the commitment and we'll have it all down to a D. So. Well, listen, I wouldn't doubt you,
14: and I wish you all the best with it, I know you'll be super and we'll be checking in to make sure how you're all doing, so we wish you all the best with it. So Fran, here from Kalosh, uh, Kalash, in Mel we want to wish all the students well and we'll keep everyone up to date on our own social media platform actually just before I let you go how can people keep in touch to see how you're doing what are your social media pages
15: so our Instagram is octane underscore racing underscore and if you go into an Instagram you can find all of our social medias we also have a website that's octane and that has loads of information we have a blog on there as well so that's kind of where you can keep up to date with everything that we're doing great right, thanks I wish you all the best back to you Fran
1: Margot, Ali, That's Ali uh, out and about for us there at uh, Gael Klosht, Clune there. 1800 938 007.
0: Tip today with Fran Curry, With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24 or slatterysgarage.ie
1: Another opportunity to see Hinterland's production of the Playboy of the Western World at Bruberu tomorrow night, just before the cast embarks on a month-long series of performances in 6 counties for the All-Ireland Drama Festival. Robert Power is the Artistic Director at Hinterland and he joins me. Now, Robert, good morning to you.
11: Good morning, Fran. Thanks for having me on the
1: show. You're extremely welcome, indeed. Um, You had great success with this at the Strand Theatre in Carrickensure.
11: We did, we did. We had um we had two sold out shows and great reaction to it. What we did was the Strand, I don't know if you know it, is a huge theatre.
3: Yeah.
11: Um there's about four hundred people in mm. it, but we reduced it and made it a more intimate type of um experience for, for the audience to create that kind of um I suppose, um, energy of mm. almost like they're part of the Shibin that they're in. So it worked really well and, uh, yeah, it was a great, great weekend.
1: It's a wonderful piece, Robert. I mean, right from its very inception back in 1907, it's been extremely controversial. I mean, there were riots about this when when it first kicked off.
11: Yeah, it just challenges people's ideas still. I mean, I was thinking about it recently when we were doing it and listening to some of the language in mm-hmm. it and um, I, I personally feel it's it's got Irish... Uh, the Irish sensibility and uh, certain parts of our personality um, in the DNA, I think it's got it nailed um, and I think it still resonates today. Um, some of the stuff that Sing, I think Singh is just uh, mm. a genius and um, he was sent back from Paris by Yates by to capture. Mm. He said, go back to Ireland and write about Ireland and he did it. I went to the Iron Islands and... Began work on this uh, piece set in Mayo, and uh, I think he, he nailed who we are in the most <laughs> radical yes and uh, way. You know, and you, that's what you're Charles
1: playing the the Playboy yourself, Robert. Are you?
11: I am playing the yeah. Playboy. Yeah, I am, and mm. uh, we have a great ensemble uh, across the board. I mean, I, I think the Playboy is the, the, the what makes the play so good is that it is an ensemble. There's not mm. one character in it that is uh, lacking. Everybody yes. brings something to it. It's it's a yarn. It's a farce, a comedy, it's a thriller. It's it's got everything, and uh, every character is bringing something course, to it yes. as they enter as they enter the stage. I,
1: I've know. seen it so many times over the years with so many different casts as well. How do you bring something brand new to it, Robert?
11: Well, I mean, I don't. I started uh, with a group of actors, and some of them hadn't been in. Uh, in, in in plays before mm. and some of them had been experienced and I just felt that the play itself would tell us what it wanted to do and I just kind of let it be organic in the rehearsal process and started to mm. listen to what Singh was saying in it uh, rather than listening to what other people were telling me about the play and just let the words start uh, sparking my imagination and the cast imagination and starting to stitch it together rather than going in with a pre... I mean, I'd studied the play yes. and um, I, I was aware of the play, but I kind of blocked all that out. I didn't want to, you know, go into any politics mm. or any of the Abbey um, history of it. I just thought, mm. you know, because we will discover something new and the audiences will discover. And that's the magic of theatre. Every night is a new experience. And we re- we relive these words with this play, Sing's play, we're just jumping on the coattails of Sing and riding it out and giving energy and that's the thing, it's the yeah. energy and the What the a commitment. lovely
1: idea though, you bring in new people who did not have preconceptions I suppose Robert, which was great.
11: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's great to have that. Now, we do have, we have a kind of blank canvas with some of the actors, but some of the actors then would have been like the Walter Donfies, mm. and Barry Comerford's mm. and, you know, um, myself would have experience more, I suppose, than some of the people in the show. But, and then, like, like I Walter Dunphy, who would be steeped in the tradition of Irish plays. And he will almost, we learned the, the sound or the song of or the language, you know, of these plays through him in a way. So he was like almost a, a teacher by osmosis within the company. And I knew, and that's why I love working with him. And he's so special because I think if anyone sees the play, he plays old man, my father, in yes. the play. and that. And when you've got somebody of his calibre, Setting a kind of a tone, or as I say, the song or the musicality and the lilting of this language is Hiberno English. It's It's that's a source to draw from, and we definitely have drawn. He's he is for me the he is the real playboy of this
1: production. Excellent. Um, uh, the it. the part of peggyne of course, is a, is a, a wonderful part as well. Who who's playing that?
11: Uh, that's played by Electra Grant, who is also uh, co-producing the show with me. So I'm directing. She's co-producing. She is involved in every aspect of it as well. That's her first play, um, Electra. She's an artist, an illustrator, and just another great talent. And this is her first play. And I mean, she's <laughs> her peggyne is um quite unique and and mm. ferocious and um I mean it's it's just uh, across the board everybody I mean um yes it's it's a great group you know really yeah. really lucky
1: you you, know? you you alluded to music there and of course uh, and and this again makes the production different certainly from any ones that I would have seen because you have live music on stage
11: yeah with live music on stage I'm a musician I I I'm a songwriter and I love music and I've seen plays before, so I played for in New York and they used a live band and I just, I mean it's not a musical hmm. but in a way every play can have live music with it and it just adds something to it, maybe it's, I'm drawn to it but we tried it and it really worked and there's certain parts of it where we cross over between the band just being playing um, you know inter interluding music to actual incidental music within it and just trial and error, we tried it, and it seemed to bring something to it. It's almost like it felt like it was always there. you know, tin whistle being mm. played over some of the passage of of um dialogue Very good. so yeah. it's it's interesting in that way, and it feels organic it kind of feels like a dream when you when you walk out at the beginning or when the actors when we begin, it's almost like you're caught in a trance doing this play i mean. It is like I mean, it it almost feels like um, transcendental, and I just think that's the language. I really yeah. I I think
1: it's a lovely idea because sometimes you can have a pit band like uh, supplying incidental music, but it's as if it's divorced from the production. If you know what I mean?
11: Yeah, and we have we have the four piece ensemble on stage where we can beside us or if yeah. not they're very near us, so they're kind of tethered to the piece, and at the same time they're they're apart and it's almost they f they're playing to us and supplementing what we're doing and it's it's a we it's a kind of a strange dynamic, but it seems to work, and then there's that crossover at times um it's just again. It just seems to be something that happened organically and is working. And it's, I, I mean, I love it. When I don't, when we've been rehearsing and the music hasn't been there, it feels like it's, we're not the full company. And then when they arrive, yeah. it's just magical, so you know, again.
1: It's very interesting. You're heading off then on a series of performances as well uh, with the Old Ireland Drama Festival. That notion of competition, Robert, does that add a different dynamic to a play?
11: Well, honestly, um, yes, I suppose it does, and it would for other people. I, I can only answer for me personally. Um, it for me, the reason to travel with the play and do the festivals is to go out into communities that we may not be able to have gone to yes. because they don't know who you are. This is um, a, a a festival. The, the drama festivals have been running for like years and years. I was lucky enough to do some um, when I was younger. Um, and be part of it and I I just I loved the community feel to it Mm. I know it's a competition but it's more about you know people in these halls and the halls come alive Mm. and the community that's in that town or village and that's what the whole idea of Hinterland and bringing the Playboy around was. I mean, the Playboy is about two people going around telling their story, Mm. Christy and his father, and I Mm. just think there's a nice kind of symmetry between what we're doing, bringing our story around to towns and villages, the same as these two characters are doing, and the all Ireland Drama Festival allows us to do that in a really simple, organic way, and, you know, you get to meet all these different characters. Well, the fact
1: that, uh, you know, I mean, adjudication is subjective needless to say, and the fact that one person can stand up and on a stage and be critical maybe of uh, productions Of does that does that bother you because it might necessarily be what the audience thinks if you know what I mean
11: yeah I mean like the audience is the main is yeah. the main obviously they're the ones that tell you what they think and we've been you know very happy and very you know grateful for the great receptions we've gotten and I'm aware that we will you know have adjudicators there and they may not like this aspect or that aspect mm. or whatever but I mean it's all it's all a learning curve but at the end of the day we'll do HO's we'll give those HO's absolutely everything holly they'll be our all our, our all-Ireland final, as they say, each night because that's how we work and that's what we do and hopefully the adjudicators um, will see that heart and that energy and appreciate all the other elements that we've worked really hard on and I think every group out there on the circuit will be the same. They'll want to give their best because at the end of the day when you cross over from backstage to stage, you know, you're just, you're just hopefully lost in the joyful moment of performance and you don't think about winning anything or doing anything like that and that's how I feel and I hope the cast Will be well, the same. I know y- they will.
1: Yeah. You describe it beautifully, indeed. Now, brew brew. Then uh, tomorrow night, it's a gorgeous theatre. I think it's 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 perfect for what you're doing because it has that intimacy to it, doesn't
11: it? it does i mean i was there just recently i was actually you were performing there and i i had i had gone in to meet ronan the brilliant uh manager there and we were down to do some flyering and stuff and we got to see the theater yes and it was my first time and just all the grounds of it obviously you know like within right beside the rock of cash mm-hmm. but the theater itself it's certainly probably one of the nicest spaces theater spaces i've kind of seen mm. ever, really, to be honest. I've seen mm. lots, but this one, there's something interesting about the way the stage, um, the audience wrap around the stage in that kind of amphitheater way, but the the, the slope of the audience and just the energy in the room, I'm, I mean, we're really excited. Just, just and a lovely acoustic there as well.
1: If people want to book tickets for tomorrow night, are there still some left, Robert?
11: Yeah, I think there are. I haven't been speaking them, but I presume there might be some left. Yes. Um, the box office is um, there, 062... 61122, and then you can buy them online through the website at Brew Brew. And um, yeah, I mean, like, we can, there'll be plenty of people, I'm sure, walking up on the night, and that's that's fine too. Um, It's going really well we're ready to go at it and uh, enjoy it and I'm um, delighted to be coming to Cashel with right, because well, I was there before and with another play and uh, there's a great community there.
1: All right. you know? Ma- many congratulations to you. I think you'll have a fantastic night uh, tomorrow night in Cashel. Robert, look after yourself and thank you. Thank, thank you, Mr. you. Bye-bye thank to you, you now. Bye-bye, That's bye-bye, uh, bye-bye. Robert Power there with that uh, excellent production of the Playboy. Uh, tomorrow night, Brew-Brew and again that number if you want to book some tickets is 62 and you can talk to Ronan and the, the gang there. They look after that's it for me Emma produced Ali looks after our outside content Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel and I'll talk to you tomorrow look after yourselves won't you bye bye
0: tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage puck on you can't beat experience with over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans we like to call ourselves the experts call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie